welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel! And we have a special guest. Her name is... Maddie. Hello! Hi, everyone. Maddie <laughs> Hello. You're the only guest with a theme. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm, that's why I'm a special guest, I guess. <laughs> what, what brings you to the pod? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, True Detective has been on my list to watch for a very long time. Um, a lot of people uh, that I know loved it so much. And it's it's literally been on my Crave viewing list. And when I saw that you were doing this, I said, you know what? That should be the kick in the pants to actually do this. And then, Matt, you said, well, then join us. And I was like, oh, crap. Now I have to watch both shows. And I'm really glad that I did because uh, I, spoiler alert, Parade's End definitely like that better than true detective oh really yeah i watched all of parades End. i finished it oh see wow. i i have made it four episodes in and i have i've made it a far you only enough. have one more i know but i i misjudged the time of when oh. we were going to record because i kept telling people four o'clock four o'clock so in my head i i thought, thought i had time and then i was like oh shit i don't have yeah, time to watch the last one four o'clock eastern but i watched far enough that i think i understand the title <laughs> Because I yeah, really don't yeah. tell you until the end of the fourth episode. Yeah. Well, he mentions it like once, I think, in the, the second episode or something. Right. But yeah. It doesn't really give it um, enough context, even even when they bring it up again. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have much in the way of HBO News because we had just recently recorded and nothing much has happened in the last month, except you guys know who Phoebe Waller-Bridge is? Emmy winner. Oh, I know that name. She wrote and starred in Fleabag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's also the showrunner of Killing Eve. I have not seen Fleabag, but I keep hearing wonderful things about it. My advice for Fleabag, you have to watch a lot of it before it really starts to sink in. So, okay. like, if you're doing other things, it's a good thing to put on, but you will end up crying. Mm. It's It's very good. Okay. Anyway, what about her? Well, what about her? She uh, is going to write a show for HBO, and it's called Run. And I'll read the description to you. Ex-lovers make a pact for the future when they agree to text the word run. They should ever want to impulsively disappear and escape the realities of life with the other. So that's what happens. The The lead character gets a text from her f- former lover that says run, and they pack it up and they go on the go and escape their lives. Huh. All right. It's a madcap mystery romance comedy thriller. I don't know. It should be good. <laughs> She's a, a great writer with a unique perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Currently attached to the project Merritt Weaver. And I'm going to mispronounce this name. He's from Star Wars. Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah, he's from Harry Potter, too. Yeah. Who do you play in Harry Potter? One of uh, the Weasley twins. Was it one of the twins? No, wasn't it Percy? Was that the oldest? Yeah. Not the old. Oh no no no! You're right. It was Bill. Okay, he's one of Ron Weasley's brothers. <laughs> okay. Well, I've always liked Merritt Weaver, so I I hope she's the star of it. I mean, she's always playing like the best friend or the side character. They never really give her a starring role in anything. But it, it would be nice if Phoebe Waller Bridge, who I'm going to say she's a feminist, I would hope that with her perspective gives uh, a shot to a. An actress who deserves to have her own starring vehicle. Mm-hmm. So sounds good. 
Anyway, that's run. That's coming sometime. And then uh, the other big thing that happened while we were on sabbatical, well, not sabbatical, we were just taking the a break while I got around, finished getting around to editing, is that uh, that HBO prequel was officially killed. The one with Naomi Watts where they filmed the pilot. It's dead, but they are going to do another one, another prequel called The House of the Dragon. All and right. It's going to be about the Targaryens. So is it still just one series in... Like planned right now? As far as I know, it's an on, ongoing series, not, not like a limited time, if that's what you were... Well, I mean, like, are they doing, like, multiple shows about Game of Thrones or just this one? As far as I know, it's just this one, but I think there could be others percolating. Yeah, so I, think, really... I think Walking Dead is up to three shows now, so... <laughs> Jeez. There's a lot of really good stories that you could tell in the history of the Targaryens. Um, the question will be, like... Are they going to invent stuff or are they just going to use what George has already written? But basically going through the giant tome of uh, the World of Ice and Fire book, uh, you know, the big red book. Uh, it was put out I, a couple of years ago. The companion uh, book? Yeah, but it was put out. It was it was put out a couple of years ago during the show. But what uh, it's essentially supposed to be the same as the book that uh Tyrion gives Joffrey for his wedding and then Joffrey cuts it up. There were only like three in the world and Joffrey decides to cut it up with his sword. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it's got like, it's basically uh, the history of the world of ice and fire with um, all written from a maester's point of view. And uh, yeah, so there's, you know, what is known about the Targaryens would be in there or are they just going to make stuff up and who knows? It'd be interesting. <clears throat> Could be. I'd love a uh, successor series that took place like 200 years after the events of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I agree. Our characters have faded into legend. I'd, I'd also watch like an adult Bran as, uh, spoiler alert, uh, as king of Westeros. Because I'm watching season three of The Crown right now, and I'm like, God, the, the ins and outs of, of the royal family and the politics of, of government are so fascinating. Oh, yeah. Like You could do that in a fictional setting. Absolutely. The season three of The Crown is quite good. Um, really? We heard it was not as good as the first two. Oh, it's so good. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying it way more than the first two. Okay. But that's... It's yeah, on my list to continue. Yeah. a matter of opinion, but I am... Tobias Menzies is... He should get an Emmy. Mel and I are really enjoying a show. I don't know if you've heard of it, Nutty, called uh, Frontier. Oh, it's on my list. I haven't watched it yet, but I mean... Called Drogo, yeah. right? Well, yeah, it's got Jason Momoa in it, but it's yeah. basically about the the frontier times of northern Canada yeah. and the Hudson's Bay Company and fur trading and trapping and all that ins and outs. So it's and, good. Yeah, it's really good. I like it. All right, I, it's it's been on my list to watch, and I'm like, I I gotta watch that. Um, I'm I'm fascinated. And there's a guy. Uh, there's a guy in it who's like a henchman for uh, a dude, and he just reminds me so much of Garrett Dillahunt. But he's not. But he's not. He's like, he's like a flamboyant, somewhat like really murderous Garrett Dillon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of one weird. thing. One thing I will say, by the way, about the Crown is, if you do watch it, make sure you watch it with Wikipedia open so that you can see where they're fudging history because there's a lot of history fudging. Oh. Yes. Well, I I looked that up when I was like for certain story aspects of like mm-hmm. previous seasons. So yeah. Yeah, because I was like, ah, is this, is this real? 
it turns out there's not even a queen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, like, basically, they they move things into different times to make it work for the narrative. So a lot of it is changing time. But then there are other things where it's like, yeah, that didn't even happen. (laughs) Like, there's no evidence that that has happened at all. And that's mostly, like, closed door stuff, right? Yeah, well, for sure, they're they're totally taking creative license because mm-hmm. they want to make it fascinating. Yeah, because I mean, how could those, how could the royal family be like super interesting all the time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like exactly. I mean, think of, like think about the queen. Like I feel like she, like her character herself. Like she's not she's not really into excitement. It's just kind of the excitement happens around her. Mm-hmm. You know, so exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because I I heard a, a podcast with the creator of The Crown, mm. and he was saying that, um, you know, he tries, obviously he doesn't know, you know, conversations and so forth, but uh, he tries to make it as historically um, correct as possible, and in that they know where the royal family was every single day because it's oh, wow. yeah. recorded. Um, they you know, try and extrapolate from from that and, you know, the the missing hours and so forth and so on. And that they've got a bunch of um, researchers who each deal with a specific aspect of of the uh, royal family um, story and so forth of, you know, as far as like travel or... Could or, you imagine having your entire life recorded like that? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> No. no. Some of it is. It's this podcast. Every, every sun every Sunday, every now and then it gets recorded. But I mean like your entire like everybody that you talk to, everybody that mm-hmm. you have dealings with, like it's all recording. Every time mm-hmm. you go take shit, it's recorded. <laughs> you know. How much? Did you do a number one? Did you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean you look at how you look at how happy the presidential families are when they leave the White oh, House, you know? I bet, yeah. And they've they had get a little a semblance of privacy. Right. They've had four to eight years, depending, you know, of your, your entire life is right. that. Yeah. But yeah, from the t- day you're born <clears throat> and you're told this will be the rest of your life. And by the way, you're supposed to be grateful for it. So, you know, buck up and smile when you're told to and and you know do your duty so it's yeah it's i uh, don't see how anyone would say yes to marrying into that because yeah like, the the people that marry into it uh mm-hmm. it's like okay i understand if you're already from like you know lord's ladies court you know whatever and you're already used to that but the the people that are just you know like like mega markle right that's not her life she's a celebrity, but to say, yes, this is going to be my life mm. oof, and to give up your entire career. Like, I just, I, I can't imagine it. Perhaps she I thinks think that she could do some good in the world being in that position. Maybe, She's, yeah. She seems in particular, uh, knowing what I know about her, which is not a lot, but my impression of her is that she is very socially conscious. So mm-hmm. she probably hopes well i mean she loves her husband but i mean that's half of it but part of it is also that she could use her influence and position to do some good she's like a princess diana type i guess yeah 
know, yeah, I, I'm not sure that anybody can can imagine quite what it's really like. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even when you're warned, because you know you keep hearing about people marrying into the royal family being warned that you know this is going to be really tough and it's not at all what you can possibly imagine, and you know they do it anyway because hey, love with somebody or whatever. Well, maybe and, uh, one of her former flames will text her the word run, and then Meghan Markle will disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just read something about Peter Morgan, who's the showrunner, uh, main writer of The Crown, on his Wikipedia page, that has blown my mind that he did rewrites for the movie King Ralph. <laughs> really? Ah, that's really funny. <laughs> that is funny. All I've ever seen of that movie is the opening. Oh, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I think I've seen it on TV. If I, I'm not sure whether I saw the whole thing or just pieces of it, though. It was like the whole the whole royal family was killed, like while taking a yeah. photo, like yeah. wet, like rain and electrical wires. I, or do, something. I don't even know about this movie. Okay, well the entire oh, really? the entire royal line dies at once, and it goes so far back that some just some dude from the states named Ralph. <laughs> Played by John Goodman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, now it's coming back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never There's seen a... it, but I, I've seen the poster for it. Mm-hmm. There is an odd um, reference to it in Buffy. In oh, was there? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, speaking second. of British aristocracy, I think we should segue into the first program that we're going to talk about, which is Parade's yes. End. Program. <laughs> I like that you said it like that. I didn't intend to. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. You did. <laughs> Someone has to summarize this program in <laughs> 60 seconds without Jeez. going over. Uh, if they go over, they lose. And if they go way, 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 way under, they're just a chump of some sort. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it's very delayed. Like, I can see who it is before the sound effect, so... <laughs> Like, mm, I can wait, or I can just wait for the sound effect. There it is. Uh, it is the guest. <laughs> All right. Hang on. Uh, let's see. 
Summarize that program. You only need to summarize the first episode. Uh, I find that when I watch these things and oh. all in a row, it's hard for me to remember where one stops and the other one. Yeah, starts. I can't <laughs> remember the first episode. Do the best you can. Self. Um, sure. All right. Three, two, one, go. So Benedict Cumberbatch is like a Downton Abbey waiting lord, whatever, and he meets a girl on a train and sleeps with her right there and she's uh already pregnant with somebody else's baby and he doesn't care and marries her anyway because she's exciting and whatever and uh very quickly into their marriage she runs off with another dude and um he's like well i won't divorce her because i'm an aristocrat and we don't do that so i'll just play the husband she wants him back. They get back together. Oh, this is after he meets a suffragette, and he's like, ooh, she's hot, but nope, I can never be happy. And so he will be charmingly befuddled and unhappy for five episodes. <laughs> ooh. No! Nutty chump territory. Chump territory, whatever. 49 seconds. There's not that much to say. That's a first on, on Hooplecast, I do believe. We, why is 49 chump territory? Uh, 50 or under is chump territory. Oh, well. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so let me just do, throw in a couple ums and ers and I'm good. There you go. There you go. This is, <laughs> these are intro talks rules we play by. But uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's just, I'm so charmingly befuddled and British. And I'm going to make up these rules as I go. Everyone is And pretend so everybody knows it. <laughs> oh. oh, British. Parts of this are as impenetrable <laughs> as luck for me. Because the, the words they use, I, I get they, what they mean from context, but there's a lot of British slang that's being thrown around. I really wanted subtitles for this one. Oh. Really badly. Mm-hmm. You should have, do you have Crave? No. No. Oh. I was going to say, if you watched it on Crave, you would have had subtitles. I did not know it was on Crave. We don't have have that anyways. We used to for a little bit, but for the American listeners, that's one of our services. We don't have Hulu, but we have Crave. Oh, okay. That's why I don't know what it is. It's Bell Media's streaming service. Yeah. So this premiered February 28th, 2013. It was written by Tom Stoppard and directed by Susanna White. And it starts in Paris in 1908. Yeah, I was was shocked when I saw... Tom Stoppard wrote it. I was like, whoa, okay. This, this is unusual. Mm-hmm. No wonder the opening looks like a puzzle. Tom Stoppard. He's a huge name in theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're the only one that knows. Did he write Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? He is that his main thing? That. I think he did write that. I will double check, but I'm pretty sure he did write that. Yes, yes he did. Okay, that I know his plays. Arcadia, um... Yeah, like you don't, I know though. his place. Oh, he, <laughs> he did a, a dialogue polish of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah, <laughs> somebody had to. Uh, all right, he worked on Brazil, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Shakespeare in Love, The Golden Compass. He also wrote a fifteen-minute Hamlet. Fifteen-minute Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah, Shakespeare in Love was people. People uh, rain on that parade, but I really like that movie. Shakespeare, I like Shakespeare in love. In love. Oh, yeah. I love Shakespeare too. in love. Me too. I liked it way, way more than Saving Private Ryan. So when the Weinstein company <laughs> lobbied so hard that 
Shakespeare in Love won. Everybody was upset because oh, Saving Private Ryan, so great. Like, oh, no, I enjoyed Shakespeare in Love. It filled me with oh, I did warmth and glee. <laughs> I, I uh, before Shakespeare that. in Love is like Forrest Gump, where people liked it, and then l- later on they just dig on it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I think I, most people enjoyed yeah. it in the theater. And the more of a theater nerd you were, the mm-hmm. or Shakespeare nerd especially, the funnier it was. I did not realize until afterwards, my friend who was with me said, you know that you were the only one laughing a lot in this movie. <laughs> nerd. I was like, no, I was having a really good time. And there's a lot of there's a lot of in-jokes in it, apparently, that I just thought were jokes. It's a fun, it's a fun <laughs> romp. Yeah, I, I saw that with um, uh, some of my siblings, but one of my brothers was currently in theater at the time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, he was the one that was just absolutely losing it. Um, yeah. but, and then my sister that I saw it with was like, um, you know, an acad- a Shakespeare academic. So, like, uh-huh. she had the literature side of it all. And, yeah, the, the discussion afterwards, I think, was probably just really great. Yeah. There were there were a lot of theater in jokes and um, you know stuff that you you think that oh well everybody's heard that and it's like no they yeah. haven't oh okay sorry yeah but yeah yeah so anyway Tom Stoppard when I saw his name I was like whoa and for some reason I had missed uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's name earlier so when I saw him it was like and a cast okay <laughs> <laughs> let's see what this is about. Yeah, they put actors in this thing. Yeah. Well, this is post-Sherlock, too. So, I mean, like, everybody already knows who he is, right? Um, yeah, it must be, right? This is 2013. Yeah, Sherlock was, like, what, 2011, 2010? Yeah, but... Uh, 2010, yeah. But Sherlock was British. Was it shown here in the States by then? I was watching it in uh, 2010 or earlier, yeah. I was watching it like as it came out. Yeah, this, I think. Oh. Was this based on anything? Based on some books, four books, okay. a series of four books. Oh, all right. I should look up who who the author was. You know what? You look it up. Someone else I'll look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you that straight off the bat, we get two actors from Boardwalk Empire playing the possible father of Sylvia's baby is Jack Houston and. He's only in this one scene, I think. Um, and then he shows up later on. Oh, does he show up at the episode. end? Yeah. And then you also have Stephen Graham, who played Al Capone on Boardwalk Empire. And he is the friend of Christopher Tijin's Benedict Cumberbatch, who uh, wants McMaster. to be a... Uh, what's his name? McMaster? Yeah, McMaster. He's a, one, like a critic. A would-be critic. Yeah, yeah. McMaster yeah. is his name. That's weird that I know a name and somebody else doesn't. I'm the one who never knows anybody's name. <laughs> so it's four books written by Ford Maddox Ford, who's a novelist and poet. And they were um, written between 1924 and 1928. So like they were written pretty close to when it's supposed to take place. Mm. It's not really a, a retrospective look back at the past. Someone on our Facebook group said this is a comedy. Describe this as a comedy. And a few other people in the comment thread were questioning, I think, the truth of that statement. But yeah, I, I minutes, remember people saying it was a comedy. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Although I, I laughed out loud three minutes, three seconds in when they're having sex and it cuts to a train. 
and the pistons going I'm like, yeah, that's funny. And then I proceeded to, you know, see a lot of scenes that I could tell that somebody thought that they were funny. But I laughed so hard when that priest came in on the bicycle. No, that wasn't the priest. That was just the servant. Whatever this that guy. I thought he was like I thought he was a priest curate. I think he said a curate. A curate. Okay, I yeah. didn't know what the what a, I thought it was like. Was well, he like a guy. groundskeeper or something? What's a curate? Like a uh, member of the clergy, though. So oh, like a, okay. Oh, so it is a member of the clergy. Yeah. That's yeah. What it, that's okay, what, that's uh, what I thought. Internet tells me. But then, but then there was the priest, the weird priest. The drunk yeah. got punched so, in the gut. Yeah. But anyways, I could hardly keep anybody straight because there's so many characters. But anyways. That guy on the bicycle. <laughs> so a curate, by the way, is like um, like what we would call a PA, like a pastoral associate. Um, it's uh, it's like an assistant to the vicar or uh, the reverend or whoever, you know. Um, but there are clergy. They take it vows and all of that. His facial expressions and just when he falls off the bicycle, I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> We could talk about that other priest played by Rufus Sewell. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. Wait, who was he? Who's Rufus Sewell? I know that guy. Well, I I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but I do believe he's the actor from Dark City. (laughs) That's who that is. One of my favorite movies. Oh my God. I love that movie. The entire time I'm like, I know that guy, but who is it? I know that guy. It's just looking so much older. And Dark City was 1998 and this is 2013. So no wonder he's older, but... Yeah, he's aged well, though. I mean, his wow. character is um, crazy. Sh- crazy, yes, but sexually insistent. <laughs> I don't know how to. What is the correct term? Yeah. Obsessive. Sex obsessed. I mean, everything he was saying, you know, was down a particular path. Shall we say no? That's mm-hmm. really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, he's, this is one of his lines, I detect the pallor of self-abuse, the sorrows of spent semen. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Good morning. Doctor? I'm not a doctor. Yes. Yes. The stethoscope, packed in the hat, left in the hall. Your friend... Another medical man. Takes two doctors, of course. To certify a lunatic. Ah, Perry. So, Phillips, very good. Kidneys to follow. Very good, sir. I'm McMaster. We corresponded and you invited me for breakfast. Of course I did. McMaster, the budding critic. And friend. McMaster... And friend, to breakfast. What? Medical man. Do you look tired? Worn. Worn out. I detect the pallor of self-abuse. <coughs> Don't turn around. Vincent McMaster is quite capable. Post-coitum tristia are the sorrows of spent semen. Boys or girls, in your case. Sir, your fish is getting cold. I'll bring the kidneys. If he'll eat a little, it brings the blood down from the head. Oh, forgive. Like, oh, okay. And and his wife is, uh, before she has an affair with McMaster, is 
constantly being, I, I think, consensually uh, assaulted, but he is Randy all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time he wants to fuck. And she is just, she cannot, it's just day and night with him, just pounding away. She she just can't handle it. <laughs> so I don't think this is too spoilery to say that he goes to an insane asylum. Oh my. McMaster? Uh, no, the, no, the, the priest. The reverend. Not, they're not a priest, oh. but a reverend that uh, is sex obsessed. So he goes to an asylum. I'm just going to spoil this for you because you're probably not going to watch the rest of it. Uh, they let him out of the asylum and he goes to take a bath. And the women downstairs are like, God, he's been in the bath for a long time. And then they see the water coming down the uh, the walls. And, oh, shit, he killed himself in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the whole time, the wife is like, how can they let him out? He was happy. He was good. He was safe. And she's, of course, upset about other things like financial matters. But at the same time, she's like, I now have to live with this guy again. He was good in the institution. He's not going to be good here. And she was right. It's all played for laughs, though. Yeah. Like a very uh, sophisticated form of laughter. (laughs) I feel like they do things to, like, motivate you to feel things. Like, you're not supposed to think that his wife is a wrong person for having an affair with McMaster because... Well, look what she has to deal with, right? And Mm -hmm. I feel like we're supposed to be rooting for Tijans and the suffragette because, well, look what he has to deal with. You know, his wife is so horrible. Yeah, the first half of this episode, I just wanted to kill everyone. But (laughs) yeah, it's like when he's so bored to begin with. When he took that gun out, uh, when her affair took that gun Mm -hmm. out to kill her, I was like, yes, please. (laughs) Oh, she's horrible. Like, I just can't stand like super privileged people whining. I'm so yeah. dreadfully bored. I just need to have yeah. constant sexual adventures. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to treat everybody like shit, and everybody's yeah. going to still think I'm wonderful. Yeah, exactly. I just can't stand that cl- upper class, lower that, class that was shit. That was annoying. Well, that's all, like, like Downton Abbey. That's, like, <laughs> yep. that's the whole thing. But anyways, I would be interested in watching more of the show, because I was, like, I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, Matt, you probably would. Yeah, have. I I actually liked it too. Um, yeah, I yeah, will give you. It was. It did start slow, and it was confusing at be, at the beginning. But uh, you know, it's one of those things you kind of wait it out and you know try and put the pieces together. And if I could watch it, with sub- if I could watch it with subtitles, I would. <laughs> I would totally take the time to watch See, it. I love upper crust people behaving stupidly and selfishly. <laughs> <laughs> I find it ridiculous. Mm. I don't want it in real life. Mm. It no. affects me, but watching it on television, it it, it amuses me. Yes. And Sylvia is quite a creation. Her whole deal seems to be if her husband cared enough to fight for her, she'd love him. But he, she views him as weak because he lets her get away with things. Yes. And because he's not willing to rise to her level of drama because he's really above it all. She finds that totally exasperating. She finds she him wants, exasperating because he's so She wants dry. him to get jealous. She wants him to get upset and to yell at her and to treat her like every other man has. And because he won't, she's mad. And then when she goes back, she's so horrible because she wants him. She actually wants him to have an affair so that she can, they can be equal again, I think. Yes. 
and 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 she can't possibly be with him because he's too good for her you know and like until he messes up they can't ever be happy and it's like um honey just i know just recalibrate your own self (laughs) yeah it's 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 so preposterous um but a little amusing I, let me just tell you why it's called Parades End. At least this is my this is my feeling of why it's called Parades End. Uh, at the end of the fourth episode, he's gone to war, and a what well, I guess a major or somebody in, in the army who appears in one of these early episodes and has always defended Sylvia and and loves her and thinks she's just the the bee's knees. He would I think he, he may be the one who said that he would kiss her fingertips that she's the real thing. Yeah, right. Well. He, they catch her with Potty having having an affair, and the secret's out. She's awful. And Christopher Tejans, who again is Benedict Cumberbatch, is like, well, what do I even do? And he says, divorce the harlot, or live with her like a man. And he says, well, there's this thing among posi- families of position, a certain, we'll call it parade. <laughs> so yeah. I think from that, what, it, what it, I take it to mean is that People in with privilege from these these types of families have to have this artificial life where they can't. If there's a person they cannot stand to be married to, they can't divorce that person because that would be scandalous. But they can't stand to live with them either because they can't take living with them. So they just kind of go along to get along and live at a distance, and that's artificial, and that's just fantasy and that's the parade and now the parade's coming to an end am i right nutty did i interpret yeah, that correctly? yeah i think i think it's in the first episode he explains this to mcmaster when he says that he's going to take her back he says we can't live out here we have to like when he says that they're going to move to the city and they're going to do it in apartments because that's you know well I, I i can't live like man and wife we can't be happy so that that's what we do. It's all part of the parade. And so he's like, explaining this parade to McMaster and McMaster's like, okay, that doesn't make sense, but whatever, you know, you don't judge me for what I'm doing. So I'm not going to judge you. Sylvia asks me to take her back. She has joined her mother in Germany. Will you take her back? I imagine so. There's the child to consider. Marchant says he's beginning to talk like a farmer's boy already. Well, I shan't have a house again. There's a certain discredit attaches itself to a cuckold quite properly. Anything beyond a flat looks like impudence in a man who can't keep his wife. I wish you'd divorce her. Drag her through the mud. For a gentleman, there is such a thing as Call it parade. And if you met someone you wanted to marry? It changed nothing. I stand for monogamy. You? I, monogamy and chastity. And we're not talking about it. And then at the final, final episode, um, when the war is over, they do have like, uh, the military has a last parade. And they also, so there's a little bit of a double meaning, like the parade has ended, but yeah, like... They, it's all about how the aristocracy is ending. It's it's more than like yes, he's staying because of this parade, whatever this this idea of this is what you do, right? Um, but also like with the World War One, 
that was the end of all of the, these games. You know, people get divorced now. People, these old rules no longer apply. So right. yeah, I had, a, right. I had a feeling that was kind of what it was. There's a lot of there's a lot of literature and stuff that uh, basically deals with the same kind of thing with World War One. There's a huge social upheaval. So yep, yeah. So I uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> Definitely a theme that Downton Abbey leans into a lot, which is yeah. the irrelevancy of their estate and their family, and just it just doesn't f- fit into the modern world. Nope, people yeah. don't want to play those roles anymore. Yeah, yeah. See, Sylvia could have been a nice person if only she had a constructive outlet. No, no. I don't think she could be a nice <laughs> person awful. no matter what. <laughs> There's also um, a short little plot point in a future episode where. A friend tells her there's like this organization that will like make like oh, yeah. what what is it sweaters or blankets or something they'll like socks, socks and scarves and things like that for the troops yeah yeah they'll make them but they'll make them for her so that she can give them to the charity as though she made them for them yeah like it's a charity for rich people to pretend they're being selfless and she's like why the hell would I want to do that and it's and her friend says because the entire world sees you as um. A co-conspirator with yeah. the Germans, and everyone hates your fucking guts. So this is a way to perhaps engender some goodwill. And she's like, eh, not interested. <laughs> she is completely uninterested in what other people think. And none of the, like the entire show, none of the consequences fall on her. They, they After these first two episodes, everything that she does starts to fall on Tijans, and so like he gets these black marks in society, and people think, you know, for instance, uh, that he's got mistresses and he's got, you know, uh, bad dealings, and he is not a patriot, and all these other things, and it all has to do with her or the b- men wanting to be with her, so they are messing up her husband because she won't sleep with them. Yeah, that part yeah. gets really gross. There's a lot of like men trying to get in her bedroom and her having to keep the door locked to keep them out and them thinking it's completely okay. Because when she does go back to Christopher, she does not sleep with anyone again until it's over. Well, that's the thing, Potty. What thing? It's not forever. Yes, it is. I hope you're not going to behave badly. About what? About my going back before it's too late. Oh, no, you're not. What are you talking about? I miss my husband. No, you don't. You called him a a, a great lump of wood. Oh, he is. I often want to kill him just to see if there's any blood in him. I'm permanently angry with him. But he's spoiled me for any other decently groomed man in London. He knows everything about everything. It's the difference between being with a grown man and and trying to entertain a schoolboy. But you love me. Don't you? Uh, I overlooked you. Your dullness and not knowing French and drinking too much or too little. And, oh, I don't know everything, really, from... Being all over me the moment we were on the train, just sulking if I'm not all over you. Especially that side of things. Which became like reading a book you've read before. (laughs) Why can't one get a man to go away with one and be just... 
Light comedy. She likes a certain type of man. She wants a strong man when yeah. Potty is all weak and nebbish in front of her. She she's like, God, you're such this is such a turnoff. Yeah. And he's like, No, I love you, and I'll I'll kill everyone for you. She's like, Okay, well, you can come upstairs then. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's a shallow, ridiculous There's, person. Tell me, does she get hers? Nope. No. Her mother is played by Janet McTeer, Jessica Jones's mom from Jessica Jones. That was Jessica Jones's mom, really? Wow, she looked really good in this. Yeah. Huh. Like, really good. I like the suffragettes. I love them coming onto the golf course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all of the hijinks. Um, I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Gertie is my MVP for the first oh, episode. Totally. <laughs> she, <laughs> she threw blood in that one guy's face. Yep. <sighs> and she's already wanted in the city for other things that she's done. Yeah. I've got some dialogue from episode two I'll share. Um, this yeah. is between some random guy. I can't. Remember, I don't know who he really how he fits into the the series as a whole, but he's talking to Valentine 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 Wanup Valentine Wanup. Yeah, and he says to to her. Um, first, she says, "Actually, this tea is for my mother, and I mustn't inflict myself on Mister Waterhouse with my inferior mind and my general incapacity for anything much except motherhood. So, if you'll excuse me, and then." Sylvia's mom goes, oh, that's my first suffragette. Yeah. And then the, she's accosted by this guy who goes, you're Tijin's feminist. If you're thinking of starting something, I have a good mind to smack your bottom. Yep. You have nerves showing your face here. I know you're Tijin's whore. You're gasping for it, you militant bitches. Whoa. Holy fuck. <laughs> yep. And that's yep. how suffragettes were treated. Oh, yeah. And- yeah, and it didn't matter if you came from position or what. It was, how dare you? Um, and in the first episode, when they're chasing after her, that same guy is going, catch her, strip her, strip her bare. Yes. He wanted to strip her down to nothing mm-hmm. for, for yep. what she had done. And yeah, it's horrendous. Yep. And what they what they did to them in, in prison was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And, you know, both in the UK and here mm-hmm. in, uh, in the States it was, it was ridiculous. And the beatings and everything else, when they were talking and they were saying, oh, you know, they should beat them and this and that mm-hmm. they did. <laughs> yep. Oh. And, and like there was force feeding for women that were going on hunger strikes. And even yep. when they were force feeding them, they were beating them up and just, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oi! Come here, you! Is it our blood you want before you give in? Stop! 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 You're under arrest! Valentine! I say sorry to spoil your shot. 
Don't see that they don't have Gertie. I've lost her. You've been demonstrating. Well, of course we have. But you won't see a Garby man handled. There look to be some beasts among them. A regular rat hunt. And Gertie can't run. You cut away then. I'll look after Gertie. No, I'll come with you. Clear out, unless you want to go to jail. Yeah, for more about it, listen to our podcast on Iron Jot Angels. Yep. Which is about the suffrage movement in the United States. Yep. yep. And and when they get the vote, it's it starts out where uh, it's only women over 30. And I think you have to be married, right? I'm not sure. Hmm. I can't remember. They mentioned it in the, in the show. You better be married by 30. Oh, right? Scandalous. <laughs> You're clearly a person of low moral char- character if you cannot be married by 30. What's wrong with you? Well, unless you're living with your mother and taking care of her and, you know, so forth. But but then, obviously, you don't have enough life experience to be trusted with the vote. Oh, <sighs> sorry. It was uh, women over 30 who were householders or the wives of householders, occupiers of property with the annual rent of five pounds, and graduates of British universities. Wow. Yeah. So only if you're smart or... Uh, in, in uh, have a responsibility that we deem worthy and over 30. Not just smart that you're willing to take all the crap that took to get into college and stay there. Yeah. And, and the means, of course. Yes. Because college was not for lower classes at that point. Exactly. And to have rent of a certain amount means that they don't want poor people. Right. Yeah. What else is new? So did you guys did you guys like the relationship between Benedict Cumberbatch and the suffragette? That was like the only redeeming thing for yeah. the only yeah. redeeming characters in the first episode at least. I really enjoyed their hor- their uh, carriage ride to that was bring my favorite part. Although it was very it was so... silly when she like came up out of the mist and they almost kissed. Yeah, that was really <laughs> yeah. super silly. But but I did, I thought that was really, like, just, like, it was really pretty with, like, in the night, and you could hear the birds singing, and it was just, like, really neat. Like, I was like, oh. I want to go on a romantic carriage ride. We'll do it. We're <laughs> stopping you in the fog. <laughs> oh, man, it was so foggy here on Friday. Oh. I saw, it was so bad that on the way to work, on the opposite side of the freeway, I saw an accident, but I couldn't actually see the accident. All I could see were the flashing ambulance lights through the mist. I couldn't yeah. see the car. But I mean, like, I want to go on a nice carriage ride, like, in a countryside area. Well, then, we, get fog, we get fog in our city all the time. I don't want yeah, to have you do. a nice carriage ride. It's never, th- it's never that thick here, it's, though. It's always super thick. What are you talking about? Not so much that you can't, like, see a street sign, like, in front of you or whatever, how they were doing it. Must be different yeah, in Scotland. <laughs> I've been in that kind of fog in West Virginia. It was, um, I was driving in that kind of fog. It was on a road that had no lines or any dirt road. It was on the edge of a mountain. It was very or, scary. Or that somebody can like pop out of, out of the mist below you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's very creepy. All of a sudden. Yeah. 
um, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, they had them quoting um, Romeo and Juliet during that mm. carriage ride. So it was like, okay, we aren't signaling a romantic thing going on here or anything, are we? Well, it was obvious from, from the golf course that they were going to be into yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was kind of obvious from the moment they did the foreshadowing thing where McMaster said, what about if you want to marry someone else? He says, no, no, um, yeah. can't do that. Believe in monogamy, etc." And it's like, okay, so that's the plot. We're going to have him fall in love with someone who want to marry. Okay. That makes sense. And then it was just waiting for her to show up. So as soon as she was on screen, it's like, okay, this is going to be the one. Her haircut, is that a contemporary haircut? Is that like a progressive haircut? That was suffragette. That oh. was like a sign that she was, you know, very modern. And yeah, like, I, I I think, what was it? There was even a thing in Downton Abbey when one of the, the characters cuts her hair and they're like, what? You're suffragette all of a sudden? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. it's uh, It was called a bob. And up until that time, women were supposed to have long hair. That they pinned up and so forth. It was, uh, you know, it was pretty early for that. Nineteen by the nineteen twenties, that was like the thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this was. She was right on the, you know, the very beginnings of it. So. Well, and if you watch longer, you find that she's more than just a suffragette. She's a pacifist uh, to the point that her brother um, refuses to go to war. And gets arrested and then eventually goes into the Navy because he's tired of being in jail. Um, Her brother's insane. He is insane. He's like an insane pacifist. But I mean, to the point that when he sends her letters, he writes them in Latin and (laughs) refers to her as comrade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Well, she and Sylvia both have that in common. They both find that war is just an insane proposition and it's turning men into brutes. I think Sylvia finds it inconvenient. True. <laughs> that would make sense. Um, yeah, I can't imagine her actually caring whether. There's a great line in one of the later episodes where um, uh, Valentine, she's working at a school for girls. And one of the girls says to her, well, if you'd had a sweetheart in the war, would you still be a pacifist? And she said, I'd be even more of a pacifist. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah duh. <laughs> And that's that. No, I want them to go to war and die. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, the other girl, Sylvia. That would be her thing. Yeah, you'd, you'd think, but she's not. <laughs> yeah, she probably finds it incredibly erotic. Yeah, because these men are not just fighting the Germans; they're fighting to get home to her. <laughs> that's how she yeah. would think of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's so totally self-involved, and she really does not care what, you know, anybody. <laughs> she's a rotter. <laughs> she, is. she is. She's awful, but captivating. There are times when a woman hates a man, even a very good man, as my husband was. I have walked behind a man's back and nearly screamed with a desire to sink my nails into the veins of his neck. And Sylvia's got it worse than I. If the woman, as the church directs, would have children and live decent... But Sylvia's had a child. That they had whose? That blackguard Drake's, wasn't it? It was probably Drake's. I am here, you know. I'm done with men. 
Think of all the ruin that child is meant for me. And Christopher's perfectly soppy about him. You don't deserve your husband anyway. I can't imagine why he sent that telegram. Resume yoke indeed. I sent it out of lordly, dull, full-dress consideration that drives me distracted. He couldn't write me a letter because he'd have to put, Dear Sylvia, and I'm not. He's that precise sort of imbecile. I'll settle down by his side and I'll be chased. I've made up my mind to it. I'll be bored stiff for the rest of my life. Except for one thing, I can torment that man and I'll do it. For all the times he's tormented me. There's so many, there's lines that I wrote down that I don't even know what some of these mean. Okay. Oh, what are they? Okay, well, I just wrote this down. There's no context for this, this line that I wrote down. Straight as a die, takes the fences clean. Okay. What? <laughs> that's, that's a cricketism, isn't it? Well, takes the cri- fences clean is a, a horse oh. thing. No, I understand that, but... Okay. In what re- in what a- respect did where where did this occur occur? I, I don't know. I didn't. I, it could have been the, the could have been the guy talking. This was from the first episode. It oh, could okay. Have been one of um, Christopher's friends talking about Sylvia defending yeah. her. Oh, straight I as a die takes the fences clean. Straight as a die. Not sure though. Um, could he have been talking about like um not die like in dice, but although. Um, I was saying in terms of a dime, like um, die casting, you know, huh. I don't know. It's it can it look sounds it up. like if it's in that context, I would say that it's like she's a straight shooter. She says what yeah. she means kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah, maybe that could be it. There were a lot of those, a lot of yeah. little Britishisms. Yeah. I mean, it sounds straight as a die. seems to mean like she's, you know, straightforward, honest type thing, like which... He's obviously the worst judge of character yeah. that ever lived anyway. But uh, did do you have any others that you wrote down? No, a lot of my notes are, I love that house. I'll take that house. <laughs> I wrote that like three times. Nobody needs a house that big. I do. <laughs> what are you going to fill all the rooms with? Uh, furniture and stuff. Art. <laughs> um, you're talking like that, you won't be invited. For, who's going to clean it for you? All my servants. His, his many, many cats. <laughs> Another um, of my notes: That man was startled by a horse and fell off his bicycle. That's comedy. <laughs> it is. Uh, you guys, I I liked the character of Christopher. Like, I don't. I can see why people get upset because he's so stuffy. But like, if you look at his ideas and everything, there's a lot to admire. Like. You can tell what kind of a person he is based on how he treats horses, first off. Yes, yes. Like, that just tells me, okay, this is a person who pays attention to things and he cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I don't remember which episode it's in, but at one point he's fighting with Sylvia. And she's like, you never get upset, you never throw things, whatever, I just want to crack that face. And he's like, I never judged you for what you did. Like, he's like, I, I'm not mad about what you did that was what you wanted to do and i'm not gonna judge you like i'm and i just thought that was such a um a a telling thing it's like it's does it hurt that you went with somebody else sure but i don't judge you for it like i'm not gonna say that you're a harlot or a slut or a whore or any of these other things because clearly there was something you wanted and i just you don't see that like 
anywhere. No, he's no. very modern, and she is very like she wants him to to feel that yeah. jealousy and be angry with her, and she just but acts she doesn't out. understand that he can't that he's not that he's he evolved. doesn't see her sexuality as a negative. Yeah, he doesn't judge her for it, and that I thought was really interesting. Well, the thing also is that you know he's the qualities that we consider you know good and and everything in him he's been made to feel are weak and as he as they keeps kept saying to him soft mm-hmm. and you know and that he should be ashamed for it there's i have something down here where oh when he uh, is putting the kid to bed and he's so gentle with him and so caring and everything mm-hmm. and he's seen by the nanny or whoever it is and the look on his face of just being incredibly embarrassed um because you know he you know a man shouldn't be like that a man shouldn't be caring a man shouldn't be sensitive um there's only sometimes you see in modern day they talk about um how one emotion that men are allowed is anger it's the emotion women aren't allowed but it's the one emotion men are allowed and uh, anger and jealousy and etc. And anything else is considered unmanly. And uh, so all the good things that we would look at and say, this guy is, you know, is a is a great guy. You know, he's looking at and being embarrassed about. And a lot of people in his society are doing the same thing. Even the maid was like, oh, a father kissing his son goodnight. Ugh, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see that. Oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed for both of us. Well, and that's the other thing that I like about him. He does not care whether he cares or not. A little bit. He cares a little, but he does not care whether or not Michael's his child. That's his son. Oh, true. Right. Yes. No, that he that. doesn't care about. He does care about, you know, society thinking him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He cares about it. He still does what he thinks is right. Yeah. For the most part, unless it's getting with the girl of his dreams, then he doesn't yeah. do it, which he should. <laughs> hmm. Well, he Carrie Mulligan vibes from her. Yeah, he follows his sense of ethics, no matter what. He's just got a very, very strong sense of of his own ethical um, path or whatever you would call it. And one of it, he said right at the beginning, is monogamy and and you know staying with his wife and he's just going to do that. It doesn't matter if he falls in love with someone else. Um, it's, we may consider it <laughs> bad idea, but <laughs> one of my notes is Al Capone going to get it. <laughs> McMaster and his, uh, oh. his lady friend, they were adorable. Yeah. I wasn't, I mean, it seemed like they knew each other from before. And yet, um, she said something about, I mean, I don't know. It, I was getting double different vibes there. Like it seemed like she was saying, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. And on the other hand, it seemed like they were already an item. I was confused. It was, yeah, I was confused by, I was confused by everybody's relationship to everybody at that table. Yeah. It, it was a little rough. I, I agree. Yeah. Got easier. The more I watched it, I started right. to understand all the relationships, but right off the mm-hmm. bat, it's like, I don't know who, what and then they again they tried to do more comedy with sitting down in chairs and it's just like 
is this supposed to be funny? Like, is that the intention? Or because it just comes off as awkward. I think it was supposed to be both. Well, they succeeded. I think it was supposed to be awkward and thereby kind of humorous. The awkwardness was supposed to be humorous. I think a lot of the awkwardness was supposed to be humorous. And I mean, Brits are pretty self-aware about their own kind of ridiculousness as far as the whole, oh, we must never show emotion and all of that stuff. Um, so it may have been, you know, like kind of expected to be humorous. Association of Domestic Services, Tory through and through. It is the duty of the employers to look after the welfare of their employees, and those that don't, you go to prison. Who thinks that? I'm the last, except for a few dukes, like your cousin, Worcestershire. Do you wonder I can't bear him? No. You married above your intellect and don't take kindly to disadvantage. However, the new Liberal peers won't be necessary. The upper house will cave in and vote to make itself irrelevant. And is that the end of the world? No. The world ended long ago in the 18th century. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what he's doing? He's making corrections in the Encyclopedia Britannica. If I'd killed him, no jury would convict. Matt, why don't you read this feedback from Harold? Okay. Uh, uh, where's the button for the chat window? Bottom right. I got it. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I watched about 45 minutes of this before I gave up. That was, that's almost the whole thing. <laughs> The high point for me were the credits. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Not my favorite, but usually inter- interesting. Screenplay by Tom Stoppard. Always competent, sometimes remarkable. Based on the novel by Ford Maddox Ford. 30 years ago, I read one of his books. I think I liked it. <laughs> something, something about an unfaithful faithful British wife going to a spa in Germany to cheat on her husband. Then it started. I was immediately turned off by the actress playing Sylvia, way over the top. The next few scenes were boring and needlessly confusing, with cuts back and forth in time that didn't add anything. And then it turns out that this is about another unfaithful British wife going to a spa in Germany. (laughs) No, this wasn't the same book that I read 30 years ago. That was The Good Soldier. Now I think I know where Ford Maddox Ford's wife was while he was writing all of his novels. (laughs) (laughs) This reminded me of the old days of bad TV when the only quality productions were PBS presentations of BBC adaptations of important novels by people like Dickens or D.H. Lawrence. Snooze fests, one and all. I give this three to ten credits to McMaster. Yeah, it is a completely different book, by the way. I just looked up the summary for a good soldier. And wow, yeah. Sorry, Ford Maddox Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for what your wife did to you. Or maybe what (laughs) you did to your wife. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he was making notes in the margins of the Encyclopedia Britannica, too. Yeah. (laughs) He's correcting the encyclopedia. (laughs) What a nerd. What a giant (laughs) nerd. She should. They would have been so much better if she just pointed at him and screamed, "Nerd!" <laughs> I don't think they'd invented the word yet, but uh, she, she would have been a good one to invent it. Yeah, I have a quote from the book, and I think this quote tells me that the story is supposed to be that Tijin's 
is just really in love with Sylvia and Valentine. So it's upon my soul, Tijin said to himself, that girl down there is the only intelligent living soul I've met for years. A little pronounced in manner sometimes, uh, faulty in reasoning naturally, but quite intelligent with a touch of wrong accent now and then. But if she wanted anywhere, she'd, there she'd be. Of good stock, of course, on both sides. But positively, by the way, there's so many exclamation points in this. It's insane. Uh, but positively, she and Sylvia were the only two human beings he had met for years whom he could respect. The one for sheer efficient, efficiency in killing, the other for having the constructive desire and knowing how to set about it. Kill or cure, the two functions of man. If you wanted something killed, you'd go to Sylvia Tejans, ensure faith that she would kill it. Emotion, hope, ideal, kill it quick and for sure. If you wanted something kept alive, you'd go to Valentine. She'd find something to do for it. The two types of mind, remorseless enemy, sure screen, dagger, sheath. Perhaps the future of the world was to women. Why not? He hadn't in years met a man he hadn't talked down to as you talk down to a child, as he had talked down to General Champion, to Mr. Waterhouse, as he had always talked down to McMaster, all good fellows in their own way. So basically the only people he had any respect for was Sylvia and Valentine. Hmm. Very interesting. I mean, both women have something to prove, whereas the men in his life might be just, uh, well, not, maybe not worthless, too strong a term, but grasping Un, unmotivated to come from sitting in a position of privilege they have they don't need need to grasp for anything so they're i feel like they're just dull. trying to hang on to whatever they have rather than trying to be better if that makes any sense yeah and to oh. a brilliant mind yeah. like christopher tegens that's just dull yeah i've got some audio feedback from steven i will try to play that now Parade's End, Episode 1. It's interesting to compare the first episode of Parade's End to the first episode of Mildred Pierce, another previously reviewed five-episode HBO miniseries. Both miniseries start with a marriage in strife due to adulterous behavior, whereas the middle-class American couple Mildred and Bert shout out their frustrations, the upper-class British couple maintain a stiff upper lip while willfully ignoring indiscretions. Hell, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Christopher, marries the pregnant Sylvia, knowing full well the child isn't his, but marries anyway because it is the proper thing to do. How terribly British of him. Speaking of Mildred Pierce, I get a strong Vita vibe from Sylvia. A spoiled brat who uses men as her personal playthings. I hate her immediately. And by contrast, instantly root for Christopher's alternate love interest, Miss Wanup. Though their interactions are so boring, <laughs> the dryness of their relationship it may just be a British thing. I give <laughs> Parade's End 2 out of 10, trapped by a Pappas bitch carrying a baby. 2 out of 10. Mm. 2 out of 10. I hated her immediately, then I fell in love with her. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's nuts. Because she, you know, why? Because uh, she gives the she gives this whole thing a shot of much needed energy. Yes. Okay. There'd be no life without Sylvia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is true. But uh, uh, fascination men have for women like her always amazes me. The, it's yeah, the crazy hot scale, right? <laughs> no, not you. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Why? Why so fascinating? Explain to us. Why do you love evil women? Yeah. I guess because they have a a drive and an ambition and a <laughs> sense of self reliance and self you know of agency. <laughs> and better to have that than to be a milk toast nothing. Oh. <laughs> but um, Valentine is not that person. She is. She's much nicer and sweeter and gentler than Sylvia, for damn sure, but she is really someone to admire as well. Yeah. She has strong character and strong sense of self. Though I really wish we got to know Gertie more. Oh, man. Does Gertie not come back in episode five? No, Gertie, Gertie does not come back. Gertie, Gertie was not in, in any episode but episode one, and then they they sent her off to live in the attic apparently yeah. no no the the whole thing with the 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 carriage and the horse was they were getting her on a boat to get her out yeah. of there cuz she couldn't leave by road or train so they got her on a boat and the boat was going to take her to a different part of the country oh amazing yeah. cuz she's wanted in london and now she's wanted in the country god give her a spin off i would watch that in a second oh i would watch it in a heartbeat <laughs> Gertie coming to a town near you. We're nearly home. I found a milestone. We're just above Mount B. You can go on now. Oh, Grant. The Mount B drive is 100 yards. Just pull to the left or the horse will walk straight up to the house. And look, the sun. It's the beginning of the longest day, the summer solstice. Sisteri and Sol, because the sun seems to stand still. We got through the night. Just one of Jan, not me. Dear, couldn't have lasted forever. But you're a good man. Very clever. Who will make it through? Who wants to rate it? Uh, well, before we rate it, I do have uh, just a couple of things um, uh, for Matt and Mel. Um, oh. Later on in the war... Uh, uh, Tijin is overseeing a, a, a regiment of Canadians. Oh, all right. And it's kind of interesting because um, one of the the majors uh, like has such detest for the Canadians, huh? and uh, <laughs> keeps calling them like damn con- colonial conscriptions. Oh. And um, Tijin is like they volunteered. Every single one of them, which is true. Um, and and it's like there's so many like little hints. Um, like, for instance, there's a couple of times where he's commenting about their age. Uh, this was a big problem in World War One. Um, Canadians were getting like 13 year olds saying they were 15 oh, yeah. and they had, uh, you know, very young soldiers. And uh, that, they did that in World War Two, but I don't think it was like as young as that. But it was still like people saying like, oh, yeah, like I'm 18 and they'd be yeah. like 15 or 16. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and they were holding them back um, to, to keep them from going to Europe until they were like, OK, now you're really 
you, you had to be like at least 15, I think, before they sent you to Europe. So there was like a little hint at that. And the whole thing about them being all volunteers is 100% true because while they did draft in Canada, you didn't go over to Europe until you volunteered to the point that some generals made barracks in Canada very unhappy to make people volunteer. <laughs> but I just I just thought that was really interesting. So I thought you'd... Uh, you'd get a kick out of that. There's like a, a little like English hate for the Canadians for some reasons. And then Tijins is like, Nope, they're good. And let me tell you why <laughs> they hate us because we're below them. Yeah. <laughs> Beneath yeah. us. But he was below them. Yeah. One, it's right? true. They're, they're English. Everyone's below them. Yes. Yeah. That was, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's, it's, that's pretty interesting though. And then there's that one point where Sylvia goes to the, the to Europe to see Christopher. And they're like, you know, you can't go. There's a war there. And she's like, well, I'm going anyway. And she just goes. And it's one of those little things about, like, people, when World War One started, they, they thought it was going to be a spectacle. They thought this was going to uh-huh. be something that they could watch. Whoa. And nobody really understood what it was that they were getting, that they were signing up for when yeah. it That's started. Crazy. So having like, that uh, it was yeah. kind of cool. Ahead, <laughs> I'm just Carol. picturing people bringing the popcorn and being like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, during the Civil War, uh, there were picnics. Yeah. Yep. Oh, the American oh. Civil War, people showed up with mm-hmm. picnic lunches to watch the battles. Mm-hmm. And then they saw them and were like, oh, my God, this is awful. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> well, especially the, the the battles in the Civil War were just horrendous. I mean, the body count was enormous. Is even worse than World War One, yeah. and uh, World War One was pretty awful. So yeah, there were picnics but because just how Washington. stupid were people though? <laughs> very, very, yeah, pretty damn. I mean, they were they were expecting it to be over right away. They were they had this whole romantic idea of glory and this and that and and um, yeah, no, it was they were stupid. It was. I mean, communication wasn't the same back then. No. You know, there wasn't... It's it's hard to fathom a world like that, you know, like in this day and age, where people don't don't really know everything that's happening. You know, they're not connected to everything. Like, they don't even... Maybe some of them don't even know what their world leaders look like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Though they did... They did have... They did pay in some ways they paid more attention to certain things the problem was that there were only so so many outlets i mean you know back then you'd go to see political speeches and the speeches were like three hours long um and you know if you had debates you know they they were long and they were actual debates where people you know debated each other and you know the same question and and all of that i mean the attention span and reading and everything else was very different from from now, partially because that was entertainment for them. They well, yeah, have nothing else. Radio. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't much else to do. So exactly. Yeah. And uh, but at the same time, there were very limited outlets. So if there was somebody who was talking for three hours and giving you total misinformation, then that was all you heard. Yeah. And there was no way to fact check it. No, no. Yeah. So you know. Rallying the troops and all of that stuff was, you know, a very different deal. And you look at the world today, and I mean, people still fall for the same thing. 
Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea of glory and, and, you know, you get this whole macho man thing of, um, Oh yeah. If somebody, you know, pulls a gun in, in Walmart by me, I'm going to take him down. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Sure. You will. <laughs> yeah. Um, in your, yeah. in your, in your dreams, buddy. Right. Right. It's, you know, so people still fall for it. It's just, they have less of an excuse. Mm-hmm. Well, who wants to rate it? Jeez. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's what this was about, wasn't it? Uh, uh, let's see. I liked it okay. Um, <laughs> it, it was annoying and confusing at first, but I grew to enjoy it more near the end. And in general, I just don't like watching rich, privileged, privileged people complain about their problems. Um so I'll give it a six out of ten golf bags in your path. <laughs> I do enjoy rich privileged people <laughs> being catty about their problems. Uh so I'm gonna give it seven out of ten Randy Reverends. <laughs> um I I enjoy glimpses of other parts of our culture or whatever and you know, rich people are one of them, though I don't enjoy people like Sylvia in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I I thought this looked like it was going to be pretty interesting. Uh, it was a little slow. Um, I think I agree. I'm going to go with the 6 out of 10 blood-spattered suits. Go, Gertie. Oh, I forgot <laughs> about the blood spatter. Yes. <laughs> we didn't know what that was at first. Like, I thought, I was like, that can't be ketchup. <laughs> she's, while she's doing it, I don't know if you could tell, she's yelling, uh, what do you want? From, uh, you want our blood? And, you know. No, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't understand half of what they were saying. Yeah, she was like, yelling. I, really, I desperately need subtitles when I'm watching TV shows because I feel like I'm such a visual person. I just need to be reading as I'm watching. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> In many ways, I felt like the sound was not that great. It was like, it yeah. was difficult to, there were like other noises and stuff and yeah. people yelling. And so sometimes it was just really hard to catch what they were, you know, separating Unless out. Unless it's a daylight scene, like everything was so dark. And I know it's because there was no electric lights or anything, but oh my gosh, I was constantly increasing the brightness to watch it in, in the Oh, really? Scenes. Yeah. I was trying to find the brightness thing on this new tablet i've got all the way through it i was like oh the other one i know where the brightness is on my other tablet but ah, oh, this is it's gotta be here somewhere no did you rate it <laughs> i did not i liked it i i i enjoyed watching downton abbey so i feel like this is kind of a similar kind of type show so i feel like i would probably like this as well it's just kind of a fun kind of, I don't know, uh, view into somebody else's world that I don't mm-hmm. know much about, you know? So, um, yeah. And, yeah, I, while I agree with Matt that, you know, that woman was despicable, I still, it was still, I don't know, I, I was still like, eh, like, whatever. She'll probably get hers in the end, although apparently she doesn't. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> still fun to watch. I'll give it... Um, Seven out of ten. Oh, 
Uh, oh, romantic carriage rides in the fog. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I will also give it seven out of ten. Um, but I will give it seven out of ten. Uh, curates falling off their bicycles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bet she does that all the time too. <laughs> probably, probably. I enjoyed it a lot. I love historical fiction. Um, uh, I. there's just something really interesting when you take things from history and then you create a story and then you make me want to Google all of the historical events to see, okay, that actually happened. Is this a common thing? Um, So I like fiction that makes me do research. I don't know. I'm a weirdo. Um, No, that is a, I agree with you. You are in the right spot. I think (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're all kind of like that. Did anyone else remember the scene when I think it's in the first two episodes when Valentine goes to the, the museum and then a woman destroys the painting yeah that's in a later episode oh okay that was hard for me to watch i want to see that (laughs) it's very hard for for me to watch i was just like no yeah is it like that lady is is it like that lady that destroyed the uh the jesus fresco by like painting she's like i'm fixing it no 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 this um, is an attack there was a naked woman on the painting and she decided she was going to destroy it because it was oh what but she was a suffragette yeah this was right outside they were having a protest and they forced their way in and the woman's like is this what you want all of us naked all the time naked huh (laughs) and she starts attacking the painting she's like well fuck your painting then whoa there were a lot of suffragettes that were also like very um, evangelical. So prudish. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the suffragettes were also the teetotalers. Uh, mm. That was a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this averages out to a 6.5, just a skosh better than Mildred Pierce, which feels about right. Mm. topic of conversation would be the anthology series true detective i'm getting out the randomizer Uh okay a minute 45 for the opening that's excessive wait hold on hold on hold on you're talking about the theme song 
Yes. Yeah. She's talking about the theme song. The theme song's great. Oh, was it that long? It didn't feel like it. No, it didn't feel that long to me. <laughs> and hopefully no one will go a minute 45 for their... It was nearly me, but it's Carol. Uh, I knew it was going to be me. I always know when it's going to be me. It's just weird. Um, oh, there's so little to say about this. Okay. Let me think before I all right, talk all right. for one. Take your time. Collect your thoughts. Um, all right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So um, we've got what looks to be an investigation happening. There's a video. Um, they're first, they've got Martin in a video. It turns out they've got this guy Rusty on video and it's all about, supposedly all about a murder that happened that they think was satanic because a woman was left with antlers and all kinds of stuff. Um, but really what this episode is about is establishing the characters of Rusty and Martin, Rusty, especially Rusty is from Texas. His, he was married for three years. His, his daughter died. His wife then left him probably or the marriage fell apart he's obviously still mourning that not in great shape he's actually probably an alcoholic um and it turns out that they're probably investigating rusty for a new murder that looks about the same and that's about it the end 56 seconds Whoa. Nice. good job carol all right so you answer my question what does everyone think that they're just trying to, they think that Rusty's the killer? It feels like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that, that that's why they're investigating him and the way, I mean, that's what it seemed like, that it was, mm. you know. Do they, do they think he's the original killer or a copycat killer? Hmm. I don't know. Could be either one. When they show, like, the scenes in the future, he looks like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> He de- yeah. you know, I don't I didn't quite get that vibe. I've seen this show before, but I don't remember that that was their angle. It could have just been that something else fell apart during the investigation that it ended badly and now they're treating him in a semi-hostile way. And, well, or he or they had to drag him back into the police station and now they're kind of keeping him there. But there's a point when they say um Near near the end, uh, yeah, near the end, when they say um, something to the effect of, um, they kind of lead him into it, and he says something like, "Oh, and you're you're wondering how um, this new killer uh, can be the same one as in 1995 when we put that guy away," and they're like, "Well, yeah," and they say something like, "And you've been gone for eight years." And it really makes it seem like, you know, you've been off the grid for eight years and there haven't been these killings and now they're started again or now they're happening and they have, you know, maybe you did get the feeling like maybe you did catch the guy in 95 and now you're a copycat because this has things that weren't published or maybe you got the wrong guy back then and it's a new guy. But I definitely got the feeling from that exchange that they're looking at him. Same. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm in the minority then. Maybe well, you've I've seen, seen more than we have. Yeah, yeah. I watched a few more episodes because I decided to be thorough. 
And uh, as it goes on, they ask a question like, they start asking questions like, do, do you think that he was heading, you know, trying to guide the investigation towards a certain conclusion? You know, like, was was Rusty doing things that, that sent you down these paths? And it looks like they think that Rusty was, you know, um, uh, manipulating the investigation. Away from himself? Well, maybe. Or maybe, tr- I don't know. I want to go back to the uh, opening titles. It's, I think, considered one of the best opening title sequences of an HBO show, as inspired some imitators. And that song is Far From Any Road by The Handsome Family. It reminded me of different imagery, but same kind of style. It reminded me of the True Blood one. Yes, I get that feeling too. It's this Southern Gothic feel. Yeah. Which I think is the best thing about the show is the atmosphere. Of being in Louisiana. It feels kind of out of time. Yeah. The opening didn't really impress me at all. I, um, huh. I found it kind of forgettable, actually. Uh, I found it a lot to skip. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, we never mentioned about the other one, um, parade, the parade one that we just were talking about. That one was like, oh, the kaleidoscope. Yeah, kaleidoscope and puzzle pieces and, Sylvia was filmed that way and stuff, and I actually found that a lot more interesting than than the opening of this one. It's a triangle, see? It's a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it said to me. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just me, or did Matthew McConaughey from the future look like a meth head in a wig? Yes. (laughs) All right. It. Is it just me, or did Matthew McConaughey in the past look incredibly skinny? Yes. Uh, My word is gaunt. Yeah. Really. His face was just, like, so... Must be the alcohol abuse. So they're... they're That does the opposite. Does it? Does it make you gain weight? Yeah, it probably does. It it makes you puffy. Yeah, you're right. They're true ages. Um, Are they closer to the future or the past? Future? So, like, which which version of them had more makeup? And was it makeup? It wasn't CG, right? It was makeup. You mean now or back? Oh, back then when they yeah. made. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, when they made this, did they heavily make up them for the past or for the future? Did they make them look older? Or did they make them look younger? I think they made them look older. I think yeah, they I made think them so. look older because Matthew McConaughey is fifty years old now. Okay. Uh, I'm looking up Woody Harrelson. So their true ages. Would have been somewhere in between the two timelines. Like they had to make them look. Yeah, look- I think they made them look younger and then look older. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds right because they gave. It looks like they gave Woody Harrelson like a hairpiece for the. Yeah. Nineteen ninety five scenes. Yeah. And they gave him and, look more youthful. And they gave him a fat suit for the um for the later scenes. I thought yeah, they Woody did Harrelson a- is fifty eight, by the way. So. I thought they did a really good job with the makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was really, it was pretty convincing, I thought. Yeah. I thought both actors did a really good job um, as, at, as their portrayal. Like, I didn't feel like Woody Harrelson was playing every other character he's ever played. <laughs> at the same time, uh, I was surprised during Carol's recap that she actually used the characters' names. Because I can't help but think of them as anything but Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, the problem had, when you use famous actors. You, it's hard to think of them as their character. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and some actors can get around that with their talent, like Gary Oldman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is mm-hmm. going to disappear into a role. Yeah. Um, even though you know it's Gary Oldman. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. But he's still always like, I don't know. He just always looks so different every time. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they had amazing chemistry, these two. Mm, Yeah. When um, Rusty would go on at length about with his his philosophical outlook on life, Mm. about um, humanity should never have had the evolutionary leap into sort of self-awareness and consciousness and intelligent thought, Uh, Woody Harrelson's like, you've got to stop saying shit like that. (laughs) This is is not okay. Ask you something. Christian, yeah? No. Well, what, what do you got the cross for in your apartment? Uh, it's a form of meditation. How's that? I contemplate the moment in the garden, the idea of allowing your own crucifixion. But you're not a Christian, so what do you believe? I believe that people shouldn't talk about this type of shit at work. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Three months we've been together, I, I get nothing from you. Today, what we're into now, do me a courtesy, okay? I'm not trying to convert you. Look, I'd consider myself a realist, all right? But in philosophical terms, I'm what's called a pessimist. Um, okay, what's that mean? It means I'm bad at parties. <laughs> Let me tell you, you ain't great outside of parties either. I think human consciousness... It was a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. Hmm, that sounds god-fucking-awful, Rust. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self. This accretion of sensory experience and feeling. Programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody. When in fact, everybody's nobody. I wouldn't go around spouting that shit I was you. People around here don't think that way. I don't think that way. I think the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming. Stop reproducing. Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. So, what's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? I tell myself I bear witness. The real answer is that it's obviously my programming. And I lack the constitution for suicide. My luck, I picked today to get to know you. Three months, I don't hear a word from you. and You asked. Yeah, and now I'm begging you to shut the fuck up. I got a bad taste in my mouth out here. Aluminum. Ash. I can't. Smell the psychosphere. I got an idea. Let's make the car a place of silent reflection from now on. Okay? I love that they have this thing where it's like Woody wants to open up and talk about things and he kind of pushes him to talk and then he's like, all right, we're going to just stop talking now because (laughs) you're you're crazy pants and I can't handle it. And when you come over to my house, you cannot say this stuff in front of my wife. And he's like, what am I, a maniac? (laughs) I loved when he was like, when he was like warning him, like, don't say crazy stuff. And then he left the room for a minute and then he said crazy stuff. (laughs) And then then you could tell when he came back that that's what happened. And you could tell he was so mad. (laughs) 
<laughs> but he didn't say crazy stuff. He just answered her questions. Yeah, no, it, but not crazy stuff. But it was just like really depressing, heavy, stuff. heavy yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Heavy, stuff, heavy, yeah. like heavy stuff. And you could tell that he said something that just affected the whole room. And I think I don't. I think that Woody Harrelson's character just wanted things to be like. Well, right. he said he set up that guy to to page him or whatever. So yeah, so like, that. The other dude would have an excuse to leave, but he didn't take it. <clears throat> I imagine when you have a job like that, you want, when you're home, you probably want some semblance of normalcy and happiness and just to counterbalance all of that mm-hmm. darkness, you know? Yeah. When someone brings that into your house, you, you're going to get upset. <laughs> he says, I don't sleep, I just dream. And Marty's like, the eye roll is just like, oh, God. Yeah. So who's yeah. seen this whole thing? Just Matt? I guess so. Sounds like it. I watched a couple more episodes. Um, I think I watched another episode. Not, like I got to like halfway through the fourth episode. I think. So what? Um, what is the show most like? Is it most like Mindhunter or Hannibal? I'll tell you in a second. Fargo. Um, the the fourth episode, by the way, ends with the famous tracking shot. I don't know it. <laughs> well, I mean, for people who uh, were watching the show when it was on originally. The fourth episode was uh, impressive just from a technical standpoint. All the episodes are directed by – I didn't say this, but uh, this is an anthology series. It's lasted three seasons. It premiered January 12th, 2014. It was written by Nick Pizzolatto and all episodes directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. I heard that season two was terrible. Yeah. Everybody season- had said that season one was fantastic, fabulous, wonderful, and then they were very disappointed by season two. How was season three? Haven't heard not a lot of um, press about it. No. But um, By the, the way. The, the two leads have such good chemistry in this. And they're lean, leaning into philosophy and introspection in a way that I don't think that season two ever did. So it's just, this is just more personal and the environment is more arresting because you're in the South. You're in Louisiana, whereas season two is in Los Angeles. And season two just felt... Um, Kind of bigger, but sloppier, le- and just less unique. Is it the mm. same characters? No. no oh, different okay. Cast. Different cast, different storyline, different uh, different location. Okay, so like really season one's the only one that matters then. Oh, I mean, I've heard mixed things about season three. Um, I think I had a different idea of what this was going to be. I thought this was going to be like a cool procedural that, you know, they looked at things differently. I thought it was going to be in the line of, like, Hannibal or whatever. And I think it took me a while to adjust to this way of storytelling, the the constantly going back and oh. looking at this, this old uh, case. Um, I thought, I agree with you, I think that the actors had really great chemistry, but I feel like there's a lot, like, I just want to get to the rest of the story, Mm-hmm. And maybe, and I keep waiting. Like, okay, when is the interview part going to be part of the show instead of a device to get us there? Mm-hmm. And um, but I do think that it gets more interesting as you watch because I did watch a bit and you learn more. Uh, yeah. So Matthew McConaughey being so skinny might have something to do with the fact that he's a recovering addict. Uh, in or at least what I can tell is he's <laughs> when it, the show starts, he's a recovering addict that he mm-hmm. had been undercover for four years. So he had been addicted to drugs, drinking and everything before moving to Louisiana. Uh-huh. 
thought that was yeah. Really yeah, I mean, it looks more like drugs than alcohol. Yeah, makes sense. Do you like your job? Not exactly. It's, it's worthwhile. I'm good at it. You're not married? Once. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> Children? One. She passed. Marriage didn't last long after that. Sorry. <clears throat> Chris Denner's on the phone for you. Something about, uh, CIA or back there to the left. Excuse me. Of course. What was that? What were y'all talking about? Your job. What do you know about him, Marty? Um, not a lot. He could be a good detective. He's running on this thing, but, uh, uppity. What? You ever ask him about himself? Baby, trust me, you do not want to pick this man's brain. Another reason why Woody Harrelson would be angry at that table, by the way, mm. is they mentioned it, and it may have gone by, um, she talks, the wife talks about, oh, because, you know, your life is in his hands. Yeah. Talking to her husband. Mm. And this is something that, you know, significant others of police officers are very aware of is, you know, the whole thing of that she was insisting that he come to dinner and she wanted to meet him. And so Woody Harrelson wants him to make a good impression on his wife. He does not want her worrying or giving, getting on his case that he needs to get a different partner yep. and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, as someone who <laughs> was in that position and literally said the words, you need to make sure that you don't get partnered up with this guy because he's trouble. Um, yeah, that would have been definitely made him very upset with, with uh, McConaughey that he didn't leave when he was supposed to leave and that he may have said something while he was gone that um, he was going to have to pay for later on with his wife. I feel like Woody Harrelson has an unhealthy separation between his job and his home life. Mm. And I think you're right in that. Um, uh, if anyone saw, was it the Punisher where the, yeah. the FBI agent kept lying to his wife about how safe he was, but he wasn't, he was out right. in the thick of it. Um, yep. I feel like it's kind of something like that where it's like, no, 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 everything's fine. And and when the kids said, dad's never shot his gun, I'm like, that is a lie. That is a bullface lie. Now, he may not have shot anyone, but I, I just, the way that that all came out, it just sounded like kids that I've heard where it's like, no, my dad doesn't even shoot guns. No, he's a cop, but he doesn't do anything. He's not in danger. Yeah. So... I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, there's a whole thing of, you know, that you're not supposed to bring it home. You're not supposed to let, you know, the, uh, the family know, blah, 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 blah. And um, I mean, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I literally, when I was um, involved with the police officer, I literally was like, okay, here's, we had ground rules that was, if you're going to be doing something dangerous, let me know. 
Yep. And um, just, you know, so that I have an idea if you're going undercover or anything like that, just let me know that you're going to be doing something dangerous. And then I won't be as worried the rest of the time. <laughs> I'll just be aware that something bad could happen, you know, and it won't take me by surprise and I won't spend all my time worrying all the time. Yep. It sounds counterintuitive, but it made sense no, to me. It's, and it it's worked. 100% accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as somebody who is married to somebody that was overseas, that's exactly how we did things. It was, I didn't worry because I knew if anything was going to happen, he would tell me. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah. If you don't have yep. that, you have a failed, you don't have a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people would try to hide that stuff to not they make do. their they do. significant others worry. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do, do. And it's awful. And then, uh, God forbid something does happen. Uh, yeah. Then your friends have to tell your spouse that not only are you dead, but you've been, you were lying to them your entire relationship. Right. Yeah. That would be a whole other level of heartbreak as well. You know, yeah. that's yeah. worse than just losing somebody. You lose yeah. somebody and find out you never had anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to happen again. Nor it's happened before. Both. Go yeah. Fantasy enactment, ritual, fetishization, iconography. This is his vision. Her body is a paraphilic love map. How's that? An attachment of physical lust to fantasies and practices forbidden by society. You did from one of your books? I did. Her knees are abraded, rug burns on her back. Cold sores, gum line recession, bad teeth. There's decent odds she was a frost. You might not have known her, but... This idea goes way back with him. You got a chapter in one of those books on jumping to conclusions? You attach an assumption to a piece of evidence. You start to bend the narrative to support it. Prejudice yourself. Wait and see on the ID. Not. This kind of thing does not happen in a vacuum. I guarantee this wasn't his first. Matt asked, what kind of show is this? Is it a uh, a Hannibal, a Mindhunter, a Fargo? <laughs> it's funny because he had to step away for a minute. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us while he's gone. <laughs> yes, tell us. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read this from a, a Vulture article. Minor spoilers from season, from episode two. Nothing like a creepy name to capture the imagination of the TV obsessive who has become primed to expect mythology and Easter eggs in everything they watch. True detective diehards have been discussing the Yellow King for weeks, ever since the name was first mentioned in episode two, plucked out of murder victim Dora Lang's journal alongside mentions of black stars falling in a place named Carcosa. And in an interview with the Wall Street Journal's Speakeasy blog on February 2nd, novelist and show writer Nick Puzzolato name-dropped Robert W. Chambers' 1895 story collection, The King in Yellow, as part of the show's Galaxy of Influences. But it was an io9 piece titled The One Literary Reference You Must Know to Appreciate True Detective that spread the name far and wide. As that piece explained, The King in Yellow of the collection's title is a play that drives anyone who experiences it insane. Chambers' book influenced the work of H.P. Lovecraft, 
the early 20th century horror writer who wrote many short stories in which characters go mad after seeing the true nature of the cosmos, or giant tentacled old gods, sometimes they're the same. Pizzolatto's decision to use that name for its mysteries as a yet unseen murderer string polar has lent True Detective a truly eerie, even supernatural feeling that has helped elevate the series above the typical police procedural. Mm. When... Watching this show for the first time and getting these little hints about the King in Yellow being this sort of uh, evil threat on the peripheral, uh, on the edge of the show, it made me really want there to be like a deeper mystery, like a a, a tie-in to like the Lovecraft mythos or something like that, where there's like a... It's not just a man, but maybe he's a man with some, like, cosmic parentage or whatever, and well, hoping that there would be payoff. Because I kept hearing about the King in Yellow and Carcosa, which uh, I'm about to play a new expansion for Arkham Horror, the card game, and it's called The Path to Carcosa. It's it's just along the edges of this show, this sort of cosmic, pervasive, unseen, terrifying evil thing. So I won't say whether or not there's payoff to all of that, or if it's just there for atmosphere. But it was the thing that drove my interest initially in the show. If you're so interested in that kind of thing, have you played Control yet? I haven't, but I want to. You should. It's right up your alley. Mm. I thought of uh, the play and H.P. Lovecraft and everything as soon as I heard King in Yellow, and I was like, why why aren't they bringing that up? (laughs) So... Is it supposed to be like in this world, HP Lovecraft didn't exist or I don't know. Maybe they just just, don't. They just don't know about HP Lovecraft. Yeah. Well, I mean, he influenced HP Lovecraft, the the writer of the King in Yellow. But uh, I think then Lovecraft like took that inspiration and folded it into his own mythology. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, he did. Um, I big joke between my husband and I are like, would you like to read a play? It's about a king who wears yellow. <laughs> <laughs> the opening scenes took, take place at the crime scene where this woman is naked and facing a tree and her hands are bound uh, almost in prayer and she's antlers mounted to her head and there's a circular tattoo uh, or, or marking in her back and there's all these stick figures hanging from the trees and around the sort of like edge of the crime scene. And it's very eerie and people just think immediately Satanism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is something kind of almost seemingly culty about it. Yeah. Or, or I, occult about it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought for sure it was a cult. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but you yeah. do get the sense that in this kind of backwater place that people may know more than what they're saying that there may, they may be conspiring. And, and part of the, the, the first season there's like a, there's tension between the police trying to investigate it and sort of political influences. And the fact that the politicians and the people are, everyone's sort of incestuous. So people are protecting each other. And there's like this mm-hmm. sort of secret, like rusty and Marty, just like they can't get to it because there's all these walls being put up around them. Yeah, like, oh, that's my brother's cousin, <laughs> or not brother, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's my uh, brother-in-law's cousin's second wife. <laughs> There's know. a line later on that I thought was really funny. It's like, well, we're trying to track him down, 
contact all the family, and that's the weird thing. There is none. Yeah. Louisiana. Have you ever heard of anyone who didn't have family in Louisiana? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Zing. Who might know the Reverend Tuttle? He runs our statewide charity drive. This is Detective Hart, Detective Cole. Very Thank good you, to meet you, officers. Nice to call. Your case has a lot of people taking care. Doors locking where they used to not. And he's been speaking to me about it. Concern, very concerned. We've been discussing the viability of a task force to investigate crimes with an anti-Christian connotation. Do what? Really? Yes. I don't need to tell men of your positions, but there is a war happening behind things. Thank you for doing your part. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Eddie's going to be very, very pleased to have such good men working on this. You kidding me? Fucking believable. Anti-Christian. <laughs> fucks. And the fucks Eddie. Huh? Is he serious? Well, he uh, doesn't have a television. Who's Eddie? And he's from Texas. He's the fucking governor. Edwin Tuttle. Ah. They're first cousins. That makes sense. Yeah, that's the sound of the big machine, Cole. It's gearing up to pound your ass. <laughs> the sound of a gaggle of hens. Yeah, you better watch your mouth or they're going to peck your eyes out. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, just a quick Google search. Apparently, there's a Carcosa in the world of Ice and Fire. Uh, George R. R. Martin made a city in Essos, uh, named it Carcosa, and... Um, one thing, the strange city is ruled by a sorcerer lord claiming to this, be the 69th yellow emperor of Yeti. Oh. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. Everybody loves this story. I know nothing about this. I should look into it. Have you ever played Arkham Horror? No. Uh, the king in yellow is one of the uh, one of the old gods that you have to try to defeat. Uh, when you play this game... It's a deck of cards that you shuffle to see who you're trying to defeat. Or and so is uh, that supposed to be the um? So you know that drawing that the they had of the potential I don't know <laughs> suspect sort of. Do you remember that in the show? The first oh episode? the green, yeah with the, the green, green ears. Deck. Is that what that's supposed to be? They describe him as a spaghetti monster, right? Yeah, but you know what he reminded me of like an old like Celtic pagan god or something. Yeah, yeah, he looked like the green man. Yeah, which confuses me because you guys keep saying the yellow. <laughs> or Cthulhu, one of the main antagonist old gods in the H.P. Lovecraft's universe. Yeah. And R- Rusty says, he has the line where he says, I think human consciousness is a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. And one of the themes in Lovecraft's writing is that there are these unseen horrors just existing amongst us and in the cosmos and if human human beings are not made to like comprehend or see them in their nakedness so any human who does glimpse like actual becomes aware of what is around him like that person will go insane so a lot of these arkham games and there's there's several. There's not just the one Arkham Horror. There's the card game. There's Eldritch Horror. There's Elder Signs. There's yeah, there's of so Menace. many things. There's so many. Uh, they're all by Fantasy Flight. But there's a mechanic in the game where you can go insane. And that's a, one of the ways you can either die from a mortal injury or you can go insane and be and game over. So that's why I think Season 1 of True Detective is so fascinating because it plays around with these ideas. And there's really nothing that special about Season 2. 
It's yeah. it's far more grounded in reality. Yeah. Wasn't each yeah, piece I, of craft like a giant racist? Oh, yeah. Yes, very <laughs> much so. <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah, interesting. But, like, he's so, like, well-regarded, though. Well, he's the originator of, um, like, uh, not originator, but, like, when uh, we think of, like, modern zombie lore. Yeah. It comes from him. You know, the reanimator, yeah. that's him, right? Okay. Um, there's a lot of his horror elements that people have latched onto. And honestly, if you read his stuff, he's a terrible writer. <laughs> he's an awful writer. Really? Oh, he's my so son, bad. My son loves him. He's, uh, he's uh, tough. Well, his writing, not it's him like, himself. But why use an adjective when you can use 20? Exactly. <laughs> the thing is, though, he's a great world builder. Yeah. The okay. world that he built is fascinating. And so, like, a lot of people really love Lovecraft, but it's mostly because of the craziness that he invented. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, he was a giant racist. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished the Dunwich Horror because I'm going to play the expansion of Arkham Horror, the card game. So I wanted to do some prep work. So I read wow. that story. Um, and? It's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I am, but I, I am. Reading. Sorry, go ahead. No, there is there is one story that I from his, his from uh, Lovecraft that I really do like. It's the Shadow Over Innsmouth. It's mm-hmm. really easy to read. It's one of his best, and it's got like all the hallmarks. It doesn't have the celestial god being. It's not right. part of that uh, mythology, but it does have like um, fish people who live in the sea, which are it has, it has cultists. It has. Uh, Scary uh, New England town. Well, that's all of his stories. <laughs> I do, I do recommend that one. Uh, but back to the uh, episode of True Detective. Hang on, uh, Melanie had oh. one thing she was going to say. <laughs> oh yes, I just wanted to say I was reading about Lovecraft's racism, <laughs> and uh, it said uh, it says here on Wikipedia, Lovecraft showed sympathy to those those who adopted West- Western culture, even to the extent of marrying a Jewish woman whom he viewed as quote well assimilated. Yep. <laughs> wow. Anyways, that's all I wanted yep. to say. And nothing made him more racist than living in Brooklyn. <laughs> he hated it. Oh, wow. Yep. He was from Rhode Island. Yeah. The uh when when we were up in uh Providence for a um for another thing, we stayed an extra day so we could do so I could take Alex around on uh um to all the Lovecraft sites. All around the city. It was kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. We did that. I did that with my sister once, but uh, in Bangor uh, for Stephen King. Oh, okay. Including visiting his house. Well, not visiting his house, but being outside his house. <laughs> <laughs> being a stalker. Well, we weren't being total creeps. <laughs> um, we, we, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, the gate outside his house is just like this total gothic wrought iron spiderweb thing so it is worth seeing it's it's really beautiful but oh. uh yeah bangor i hardly know her <laughs> <laughs> you were waiting you're like i gotta throw that in there <laughs> when is my moment so true detective <laughs> the major at the police station is played by kevin dunn we just saw him in luck oh okay so the see i didn't catch a lot of the you know, the yellow whatever and all of that. It's not too dropped much. until next episode. Oh, okay. I, I don't think. 
Yeah, because this episode, I I mean, I felt like there was going to be a whole lot more happening. And if I'd had time, I would have watched the second episode on both these. But um, I just didn't. And um, it, it seemed like this episode was basically just to introduce ev- introduce the characters more than anything. Yeah. Which was fine. Uh, they were interesting characters. I thought the pilot had a lot of mystery and... Or it had it had a lot of atmosphere, and it was building the mystery. Mm-hmm. This is true. I want to ask y'all something. Y'all think maybe this have something to do with those cats? What cats? Two of them. One, and a couple of weeks later, another. Somebody caught them up, turned the insides out, and nailed them to the front door twice. Uh, now, I called and told the police, but we're a predominantly African-American congregation. I asked for it to be investigated. We aren't those type of police, sir. Well, who is then? Can I ask you something? Any of these look familiar to you? Seen them anywhere? No, no. They look like something that might be carved into a tree or something. Mm. How about these? Now, that looked like something my old auntie taught us how to make when I was a tech. What are they? Some folks call them bird traps. Old auntie told us that they were devil nets. You, know, you put them around the bed, catch the devil before you get too close. That's interesting. Hmm. She was a wonderful woman. You know, loved her some Jesus, but had a bit of that Santeria in her, you know? I always just thought it was something for children to do. Keep them busy. Tell them stories why they tie sticks together. It was pretty disturbing the crime scene and oh, the little yeah. the little stick figures when they when Rusty goes out and finds that little thing of sticks in the backyard oh, where yeah. apparently they let a child play, which is just like in this scrap heat. Like I love when he compliments it. He's like, "Oh, this must be for her. Oh yeah, she loved playing out here. Oh, it's nice for kids." And it's like. What? No, it's not. No, it's, it's like, not. I hope they all have their tetanus shots. Jesus Christ. It's it's just oh, disgusting. She's, but uh, they find that little stick figure and, and you just get a sense of that there's that this killer is living in the community and it's mm. it's disturbing. I thought well, that meant that Blair Witch was going to show up. The Blair Witch? Yeah, it was total Blair Witch. <laughs> that little girl's been gone for what, five years or something? Is that uh, right? Like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I I wasn't sure whether that was a chicken coop or they said it was a playhouse. I was like, oh, okay. It I just looked it like a metal chicken. shed that it was rusted to all oblivion. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, it was because there were chickens in a in a fenced in area connected to it. That's why I thought chicken coop, but then not so much. But yeah, it did not look like a great place. And <laughs> I, I did notice the the. Uh, compliments and all and it's like yeah laying it on kind of thick there <laughs> well you get more with honey than you do vinegar right yeah but kids kids out in the you know kids will play wherever there's anything so there's know. there's this cartoon on netflix called f is for family and one of the kids hangs out with these kids from like the wrong side of the tracks and like one of them's just like this kid who who looks like he's eight and is always walking around in a diaper mm-hmm. and all i could think is like those are the kids that play in that shed <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing that it's like kids will play in construction sites, they'll play exactly. in, you know, wherever. Yeah. Wherever it's the parents' looks job to say, maybe don't play in that old tire. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> my brother almost drowned in a in a, a septic tank a hole that was being built when they were oh, building yeah. house of stars. And he fell in and luckily one of the construction guys saw him and jumped in and got him out. But yeah, you know. You know, we don't hear about so many kids falling in wells these days, but uh, that was a thing that happened a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank goodness for video games. Yeah, thank goodness for video games. Kids aren't falling down wells anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that and, you know, city plumbing. A few, a few kids, uh, I remember being warned. It just came up like on Facebook, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago, about some kids who died in our town back when I was a kid. Because they dug a cave in a in a cliffside that was sand, and it oh, caved man. in on them, and uh, and they died, and they, like three kids. Um, wow. They were like seven or eight or whatever. And because there's a lot of sand pits back when I was a kid in this town, there was um, sand pits either in operation or being transferred, made into like shopping centers and stuff. And um, you know. A lot of that kind of stuff used to happen. There's, you know, as much as it was great that kids went out and did whatever they wanted back in the day for eight hours or whatever, um, there were side effects in no two ways. On occasion when I would go out in the woods with friends, we never found a, a dead body. I was always like, fingers crossed, <laughs> let's let's find that dead body. And uh, just never it did. did. happen, huh? Just never did, no. Oh, okay. Did you find... Other dead things? I don't remember. <laughs> I guess you probably would have. <laughs> True detective. Um, Matt, why don't you read Harold's feedback? Uh, scroll up, Mel. Mm, right there. True detective. <laughs> by by Harold Mullen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with season one of True Detective, having watched it as a DVD rental shortly after it aired. Whoa, DVD rental. Sorry. <laughs> a few thoughts before I get to the pilot. Over the past couple of weeks, I've read a bunch of critics' top shows of the decade lists with nary a mention of True Detective. It's hard to believe that not too long ago, this show dominated every discussion of, t- of television. Now it's all but, but forgotten, except for the occasional Matthew McConaughey Ford ad. <laughs> I'm sure that part of its removal from our collective memory is its second season, which has which I haven't seen but has an awful reputation. Another factor, I think, is the fallout from over-analysis of the first season by people who were dissecting no, every frame of the show no. to solve the mystery. Oh, oh, spaghetti monster. Frickin' Twin Peaks. And Yellow King. <laughs> when that stuff was window dressing for a show that was much more interesting in the lives of its main characters over the course of the decades. People were disappointed because this mythology of the spaghetti monster and Yellow King didn't live up to the hype. As for the first episode... Here are some things I liked. The opening credits, especially the song by The Handsome Family. The title sequence is at the top of my list so far with Big Love, The Wire, and Sopranos. You hear that, Carol? Yeah. <laughs> I love And Nutty. Of- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was the one that was down on it. I, I, they're, I like the, they're duly noting, they're I duly like the, noting it. Yeah. I like I the opening the of Big Love, too. Just saying. I love the sense of time, place, and locale. 
also the use of time and how they not only jump back and forth between 1995 and 2012, but also back and forth within the 1995 timeline. I like little details like that Cole still resents Hart for inviting him to dinner on his daughter's birthday, even though he never told Hart that he had a daughter, let alone that he knew it was her birthday. <laughs> yeah. We share a birthday, by the way. Um, his daughter and, and me. January 3rd. Oh, oh, there you go. It is the type of thing that only someone nursing a deep pain would dwell on or uh, not let go for 17 years. I like that Hart thinks he is just a solid down-to-earth guy and like his partner who lives in his own head. Yet Hart himself has little thought for anyone besides himself. He never asks Cole about his life, fails to think that when Cole says he doesn't drink, it might mean that he can't because he's an alcoholic and he makes wrong assumptions. For example, that Cole never had any children. (laughs) I like seeing how his future version has recognized his failings in the past. I like the contrast between Cole and Hart in 1995 and 2012, and the contrast between the good old boys cops in uh, 1995 and the African-American detectives in 2012 and how they handle business. On the downside, even back when I first watched this, I feel tired watching yet another show that starts out with a dead woman. I'm also over serial killers and murders who pose their victims as art. (laughs) The only other knock is that Rust Cole is not very believable. There's no way that an oddball like this would be hired as a detective anywhere, let alone in a rural area of Louisiana. I sort of give a pass because of the long tradition of oddball genius detectives in fiction, but it still kind of bothers me when a character like that is in a more realistic setting. I give this 8 out of 10 quaaludes to help me sleep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you, Harold. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think uh, True Detective was like right at the beginning of the whole uh, serial killer, true crime, like fascination that seems to be going on. I think we're on the other side of that bubble at this point, And I think people are getting fatigued with the whole true crime and serial killer and all of that. Maybe, but I still want Hannibal season four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when, when someone does it Mind so Hunter. well, I love Mindhunter. Mm, I haven't seen that one. Oh, so good. I like it. Mm. I, I also like it. <laughs> it's not that season two of true detective is garbage. It's just not as good. Yeah. And I would say if you're, if you're, if you're behind on like the five to 10 shows that everyone's telling you to watch, there's no way you're going to want to spend the time to watch it. Yeah. Uh, I am just did some Googling, and I guess True Detective Season 3 crosses over with Season 1. Mm. Sounds about right. Oh, uh, worth just watching 1 and 3. Yeah, I feel like Season 3 probably is more return to form, because I think it does some time-shifting stuff, and it takes place in the Ozarks, so it has the kind of uh, backwoodsy feel, mm-hmm. not the urban feel of Season 2. I will say that W. Earl Brown was in... True Detective Season 2. Oh. So, it has a point in its favor. Let's find out what Steven thinks. True Detective Season 1, Episode 1. The Long, Bright, Dark. Now this is what I call quality HBO programming. True Detective soars on multiple levels in creating uncomfortable atmosphere, an awesome opening title sequence, Nutty. and two complex <laughs> main characters expertly portrayed by Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. The use of conducting interviews is a sly way of quickly dumping exposition for events in the past. This year's The Irishman employed a similar technique. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't call out actor Clark Peters, who had a small part in this episode as the minister, but an actor Hooplecast has seen before in HBO's The Wire, Oz, and The Corner. Director Kerry Fukunaga directed all eight episodes of the first season of True Detective, which makes me excited to see his next outing, directing next James Bond, No Time to Die. I give True Detective 10 out of 10, regular type dude with a big ass dick. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Steven. I know he said dick, but that's not what I heard. Oh, trying to figure out what you heard. What did you hear? I heard big ass dick. That's what he said. Oh, I thought he said stick. Never mind. Oh, no. No, No, he said dick. No, he said dick. That's why we were all confused. We were like, what could you have heard that's worse? (laughs) Yeah. That's really funny. I just assumed he didn't say that. All right. Never mind. That happens a lot. Like, I'll hear something and I'm like, I know that's not what they said. (laughs) So I just assumed it was one of those. You know, I've seen all the different types. We all fit a certain category. The bully, the charmer, the uh, surrogate dad, the man possessed by ungovernable rage, the brain. And any of those types could be a good detective, and any of those types could be an incompetent shitheel. Which type were you? Oh, I was just a regular type dude with a big ass dick. Anything else about True Detective? Or do we want to rate it? I have a question. Uh, so, Matt, Mel, and Carol, yes. uh, who do you think is nicer? <laughs> nicer? Or a better person? Hmm. Better person. Than what? Than who? Martin or Rusty? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, both of them seem like okay human beings. Um, Martin's cheating on his wife. Yep. Oh, as um, soon as Rusty- she came with those papers, I'm like, he's sleeping with her. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. The face yeah. on her and the face on him. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah. Yeah. The as soon as he looked at her, it was like, okay, that's yeah, yeah. But um, which you know. I'm not going to say someone's a bad person because they're cheating on their spouse. It's, yeah, I will. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, it's not the best character trait in the world, but, but it's not, you know, it's not molesting children or anything. Um, There's a bar. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bar. That's the bar Uh, that Carol has set. (laughs) You're not molesting children. You're a good person. You're a good person. Yeah. We, uh, I, I think we don't know enough about them to really, yeah, yeah. At this point, like I only watched the one episode, so I can't really say for sure. Like if, like I know that Rusty is like a, he's really jaded, and he's wounded. like he's wounded. Yeah, he's like saying yeah. all these things that like jaded, wounded, possibly autistic, possibly autistic, possibly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which you know that's fine, but he's I mean, stressed. he's. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot of issues and he's mm-hmm. get, he's, yeah. he's he's trying to get clean as well, which, you know. I feel yeah, like I don't they were know, trying I, to convince us that Martin was like a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't buy it. No, no. Yeah. Well, no, because even like for what uh, Harold was saying was that he was only interested in himself. Mm. 
you know, like he had no, was that Harold that was saying that? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He was just like saying like, yeah, he's just interested in himself and he's not showing interest in his partner. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, his wife is the one asking questions and finding out, oh, he had a daughter that died. Like, yeah, you know, like if you had bothered to even ask, you might have found out, you know, you'd, instead of just being like, oh, yeah, let's just out. let's just talk for the sake of talking. Like he was he was kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at you, the same time, is that a guy thing? It could be. But is that a healthy guy thing? I don't know. I think I think I think guys find guys. out like you're you're working with somebody every day. You're going to say, so do you have any kids? No. Oh, you ever married? You know, like you ask these questions because you're going to be spending that time with people. Um, you know, my husband's constantly working with new people and I always find out about he always finds out about their their family uh, situation. You know what? I'm going to counter that <laughs> because I I always, I always find things out that Matt had no idea of his coworkers. Like we just went, like uh, yeah, we just went to a work brunch and I was talking to some of, because I used to work there as well, and I was like, oh, like how's life? Da 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 da. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this about your life. And I said, I tell Matt, and he's like, oh yeah, I I didn't know that. I'm like, so you never talked to your coworkers? Mm." (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a chatty person. Just, just, you don't have to be chatty. Just show a little bit of interest in people. I don't know. <laughs> oh no. Anyways, Matt is Martin is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I think I, Martin's a jerk, and I don't think Matt's a jerk. <laughs> oh, you don't know Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, he isn't cheating on his wife. No, wait a minute. Forget I said that. <laughs> As far as I know, that's the only redeeming quality he has. <laughs> um, I agree with you that we don't we don't know. We don't know enough about them. Um just going by what we've seen, um, you know, I I don't they both seem like they could be fine people underneath all the you know, the crap. Garbage. But uh they might you know, they could go the other way as well. It's just really hard to tell right now. Who wants to rate it? <laughs> oh, sorry. My next question was, do you want to watch more of it? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I'd I like mean, to watch more of both of them. Yeah. This this show is really hyped up, you know, just in the general public consciousness for me. But yeah. and just after one episode, I wasn't super enthralled. I'm okay. sure if I watched more, I'd I'd get into it, but. It didn't blow me away like I expected it to, I guess. Mm. I think it's it's probably a slow burn in a way. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling it was overhyped. But again, I figured that it comes, it rolls out in the future episodes. If this were something I was watching like weekly when it came out, I would not come back to it. But I might come back to it because it's on streaming. And if I'm doing something like wrapping presents or something, maybe I'll put it on if I've finished watching all the other things I can think of. Uh, it's a good binge. Yeah. I really like how the show has, like, te- to borrow a, a Lovecraft illustration, uh, tentacles in lots of different areas of Louisiana. <laughs> 
there's like there's the biker gangs, there's the religious element, there's like the weird occultists, there's the trailer park, there's it's it's a small community and it but it's and it has variety and they're all involved in the investigation some way or another. Like like their investigation takes them to some very interesting places um with different types of people and I really I really like that. All right, cool. Yeah. It's just it's got a real uh, grand sense of itself. Cinematography is also really good. Like, just, I mean, the atmosphere is just really good. If you like southern gothic crime horror types of entertainment. <laughs> I'm not big on horror, but um, I found myself thinking that this should have been like a two-hour pilot. Mm. You know, have have the, because it just seemed like this episode was just introducing everything. And it was a lot of exposition, and that if that I assumed that the next episodes would be the ones that actually got the plot moving. Well, so I, I'll just go ahead and rate it. Um, okay. No, if you want to, you can go ahead. No, you go. I'll think of a, a better uh, rating system while you do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I I think this is a really solid pilot that's full of some fun dialogue and good chemistry between the two leads and lots of atmosphere and a slow building mystery crime, very interesting crime scene. Uh, lots to like about this. And I was definitely intrigued enough originally when I watched it to watch more and glad that I did. So I'm going to give it a, a 9.2 out of 10. Point two. <laughs> That's random. 9, 9.25, 9.25. Um, random. <laughs> less random because it's a quarter. It's a quarter of a point. Sure. Nine point two five one four zero seven six. Yes, nine point two five out of ten. Rusty scrap heaps that make for good playgrounds. <laughs> Impending tetanus shots. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. I liked it. I like I said before I didn't I wasn't enraptured. Um I thought it was uh interesting. The characters are definitely interesting at least. And uh I couldn't really get attached to the, the main story thread yet. Uh yeah, like was it Harold who said, you know, just another dead opens with another dead girl posed as art, that sort of thing. We've seen it a lot. Maybe not back in 2012, but um, I don't know. I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10 soggy bouquets. Aww. That was what he was. What he brought over to dinner, wasn't it? He brought yes. a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. 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 And he was soggy. So. Yeah. He was soggy. I liked, I liked where well, he said it's like, it's like he read in a book. That's what you're supposed mm. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He doesn't know how to people. <laughs> he doesn't know how to people, exactly. Yeah. Um, but... You should have brought a board game to play after dinner. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Um, a soggy bouquet in one arm and a soggy board game in the other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I can read it. Uh, I liked it. I liked it enough to... I think I found, like, the... I, I did find the art artistic <laughs> posing of the body interesting. I don't know. I just I find that stuff interesting. Um, and I, I find like I find the whole like uh, implication of m maybe there's a cult 
And maybe it's maybe like a there's weird a spaghetti man. And maybe there's like a weird pagan cult. I, I found that like super, super interesting. I was like, ooh, like I want to know more about this. So I would watch it some more. Um, and yeah, the characters were good. And again, like we don't know enough about them. So you kind of maybe want to keep watching it to find out more. So yeah, I would give it an 8 out of 10 uh, I, uh, necessary noontime uh, Lone Star beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt a lot like Matt felt. Um, Which Matt? You're Matt. Um, <laughs> you gotta specify. <laughs> um, so from now on, I'll just refer to him as Mel's Matt. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I I feel like there's like good stuff on the horizon, especially with you know all the hype everybody had. But the pilot itself. Um, I, I really, as I say, I felt like it, it needed to actually get into the meat of the matter a little more for me. Um, I am interested in watching it. I did like the performances. I did like the chemistry between them. Um, I felt like there's a lot to unpack in these characters and that these guys are, are good enough actors and the writing is good enough that they will unpack it. But for the pilot itself, I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10 down and out Fu Manchu mustaches. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I like it. pretty underwhelmed. Um, I was expecting more. And maybe that's that's just based on my expectations. You know, after hearing my friend T just rave about this series for years and years, I was expecting something so much bigger. And uh, you know, maybe maybe if I'd watched it when it came out in 2013 maybe maybe i would have been more interested i don't know but um so i'm giving it a six out of ten um kings in yellow nice i know (laughs) you know what it is it's it's people hyping it that ruins yeah Yeah. i it's why i I couldn't watch x-files for 30 years yeah like it's good to watch x-files it was like really guys yeah. I, I, yeah. I always love like I don't know, like I love it when I don't know much about a movie or a TV show and I kinda start watching it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, Oh, this is really good. But if people are like, Oh, it's the the best, like you gotta watch this, you gotta watch this and then I always end up being slightly underwhelmed because I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, I expected so much more out of this. Like <laughs> if you never saw Firefly, there's no way even Firefly could live up right. to all the hype that we nerds have given it. But if you don't, if sometimes though, if you don't push somebody to watch something, the leftovers, right. somebody oh. won't watch it, and then and then where are you? So it's like, how do you navigate this this line of of getting somebody to watch a thing that you know that they would like, but they resist right. watching it? Yeah. So it's, I don't know struggle. what you do. Maybe you make a podcast about it and you make them do it. That's <laughs> yeah. You like make them watch it. It's kind of the secret. Yeah. That's Maybe. how I watch Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the way I watched Firefly was that uh, I went to a, a a Buffy thing, political thing. I don't remember what it was. And a bunch of people, I was like, what is this Firefly I've heard about? And they were like, you haven't watched it. And they all sat around discussing what episode they should show me. And because uh, somebody there had the, had the uh, DVDs and they picked, um, 
oh, good grief. I can't come up with the name of it now. Out of Gas. They picked Out of oh, Gas. wow. Yeah. And That's interesting for the first one. Well, because it introduces a lot of the cast. It does. It's a great episode, too. Oh, and it's, yes. It's one of the best episodes ever written, I think. Or ever produced, anyway. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And then somebody at the place who didn't know me at all loaned me their DVDs. <laughs> That's what we did back then. That 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 yeah. is a phenomena that is specific to Firefly. Like we we all had sets and loaner sets, and you would just loan them to anybody. And I had a friend who I was saying to him, "You need to you need to watch Firefly. You'll enjoy it. But more than that, you know, I'll lend you the DVDs, but your kids are going to really love Firefly, and you'll be cool dad." And he didn't do it. And then the movie came out. And their, his kids were like, oh, we've got to go see this because this is a really cool show. And I was like, I gave you the chance to be cool, Dad. You <laughs> and you it. passed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you um, but yeah, it was. Uh, but, and of but course, yeah, somebody so... sent me the DVDs of Leftovers and I could end up watching it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really, I really think sometimes like the hype can kill something, though. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, everyone tells you this is the most amazing thing since sliced bread. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it and you're like, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's something that, like, this one's not dated because it was already doing, like, a jump into the past. And I thought that they did uh, the 90s really well. Like, it it did not feel out of place. Um, But I think a lot of times, like, when, you know, for instance, with X-Files, when I started watching it, I really had to adjust to the whole... 90s vibe of everything and the the sexism and all of that you know it, it took me a bit to adjust it get past all the hype and then the datedness so it can be hard well do you want to know what we're watching next time certainly <laughs> yeah we'll be watching the pilot episode of the leftovers <laughs> <laughs> yay and <laughs> The first episode of a miniseries called Show Me a Hero. I will. Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) I was more recent. Never heard of that one. I will uh, will look at this hero when you show it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Look at this hero. It should be be called Look at This Here Hero. Um, (laughs) Nutty, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Nutty. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me by going to nimlas.org, N-I-M-L-A-S dot org, uh, where I talk about geeky topics. And uh, right now I've been doing a lot of recipes because for uh, the 12 days of podcasting, um, which is something that I do, I do 12 episodes for December uh, leading up to Christmas. Um, I am te- I've opened a test kitchen and listeners are sending me recipes that are near and dear to them. So I cook them and I give you a little update while I'm cooking and then we give our reactions afterwards. And uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Cool. Cool. I love that. Love that yeah. idea. Yeah. You do some cool, cool foods in general. Uh, I see your. I love cooking. I can tell. I can tell. Very often I'm like, ooh, I I would like to know how to make that, except that I haven't been cooking lately, so. Nutty, if you were going to make a dish mm-hmm. based on this podcast and these two shows that you've recorded, <clears throat> what, would you, what would it be? Oh, okay. Drawing inspiration. Mm. 
Well, I believe I would probably make a savory pie to reflect, you know, um, the British love their savory pies, right? Yes, they do. <laughs> um, and then, you know, maybe I would like make an antler shape on the, the pie crust on top. I like that. Yeah. I was thinking of like a puff pastry to represent parades end. And then, you know how sometimes people take like uh, chocolate and they harden it to make it into shapes? Mm-hmm. Do, doing like the little stick figure from True Detective on oh, top? Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so like you could make a little pixie fours and or something with like maybe even Neapolitans with puff pastry. And then you put the little chocolate stick figures. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> I like that. Uh, as always, you can find us on the internet by going to hooplecast.com or go to Facebook, search for Hooplecast, and join the discussion group where we have fun times. All right. That's the end. Matt, sign off. Do it. Oh. Fuck you. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, what am I supposed to say? Oh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, we should really let the guests do it. Nutty, do you want to sign us off? Fuck you. Yay. <laughs>